0: You know what, that's fine. It's part of the experience. It's gonna be this like peaky, noisy mess and everyone's gonna be like, you're gonna feel the energy, you know? It's like how, EJ, this is a reference purely for you. Sworn in's start-end EP. It sounds like shit, but that's what makes it sound
1: awesome. You really gonna go through this? This is the Concert Crusade podcast. We talk about video games and shit. I don't know how much you, of that you guys just heard. Hopefully none of it. I'm EJ Olsen. <laughs> I'm with Nick Durheim as usual. And Yo. today we've got a very special guest. We've talked about him. We've talked shit about him because he's the only member of the infamous group chat who doesn't listen to this podcast. So finally, three years later, we have him on. This is... <laughs> Our man, Chris Gillyforer. Uh, I really pronunciated that last name for you there. <laughs> you did very well. It's good to have you on finally, and and we're going to argue all sorts of things today, I'm sure.
2: It's good to be here. I have, I've listened to exactly two episodes. I like them. Uh, both times were because uh, Leaf baited me in by saying you talk shit about me, so good work, I guess. Do you remember which episode those were? One of them was talking about games of the year of whenever Mario Odyssey came out. Which was Oof. twenty twenty seventeen, wow. um, because I contended and maintain that Samus Returns is a more complete game than Mario Odyssey, and you were talking shit was about gonna me. Play on a
0: three DS though.
2: <laughs> it needs a re- it needs a, a switch port for sure, but I I do think that for what each of them did, I Mario Odyssey is like an eight for me, and I will I will not move from that but that's a separate conversation.
1: I agree with that assessment. Mario Odyssey was definitely an eight. It was a perfectly adequate platformer that I beat for some reason. Eight stands for adequate. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Not a game I've gone back to. Guess what? I started playing again this morning for the fourth time. The Witcher three. No. Spider-Man. Spider-Man. I needed a palate cleanser. And something to sort of bring me back to the light, so to speak, after playing The Last <laughs> of Us for almost thirty hours, uh, because I think that game probably took years off my life, and this podcast is more than likely to do the same.
2: I've turned to Phoenix Wright. Oh, it's a, it's a franchise I've never played. Yeah, I bought the trilogy on Switch half off. Uh, played the first one and some of the second one on DS, and yeah, it's been. I I, I also needed a a palate cleanser. That was a long thirty hours. So. Sidebar: Before you even get into this freaking topic, Phoenix Wright is like
1: a
0: text-based, it's not a mystery game, right? Isn't he the lawyer? It's like a mystery visual novel kind of thing. Okay, exactly.
2: It's a it's a visual novel that's about a lawyer, pretty much. You you investigate it's kooky you shit.
0: Do. Like the 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 very first case, I think from the, from the first game is one of the people you cross examine is a parrot. So it's like that kind of kooky Japanese bullshit. All right, so. Last of Us 2. Should we talk about what we thought of the first one first to give context? Do you think that's important information? I I think
1: that is relevant and will probably be a thread throughout this discussion because so much of of Last of Us 2 is predicated on on the first game. Hence the the part two in the title. (laughs) It's not just a game, another game in the world. It is very much uh, a sequel. But let me preface all this by saying... Chris, I know we talk about, like, we argue a lot. We have different opinions about things. And Nick, you like to play devil's advocate, right? Sometimes you agree with the things you're saying. Sometimes you're just trying to fuck with me. Sometimes you just are are presenting another sort of opinion for the sake of discussion because that's important. Chris, I feel like you and I are just generally opposed in everything we do and say and <laughs> believe. And it's as genuine as it comes. So That's what friends are for. Yeah. But it's always, it's always. I I remember one of my fondest memories with you is having just watched Star Wars and coming out of that theater and sitting there, not even arguing, just discussing what what we just watched. And yeah, I I value a good discussion like that. And so what I don't want this to devolve into is fucking town hall, right? I don't want this to be high school debate class. I don't want to present this as if we're on two opposite ends of the spectrum and we're trying to defend our opinion on the game. I think we are going to be a little closer than we have made it out to be leading up to this privately, but um, I want to just be an honest discussion of how we feel about it. And we are going to disagree, but sort of prefacing with the fact that this doesn't need to be a, like we are going to disagree and people who are listening to this are definitely going to disagree with both of us. So, this is less of a let's defend our case and more of a let's just talk about this game that
2: we both enjoyed. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think we are going to be close on a lot of things, uh, especially in our enjoyment of the game and how it plays. Um, and as to what we took from the story, I think that Naughty Dog leaves a lot of delicious ambiguity for us to chew on and decide what we think of it. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to make my case because I think it's a case I'm not seeing in a lot of reviews. And I'm yeah. excited to hear your take Um, just like after, you know, the last Jedi, you talk, I talk blip (laughs) bloop. we had a great conversation. Yeah. And I'll be the, the partially impartial
0: sort of (laughs) viewer of all this because I haven't played the game. I didn't even like get very far in the first game. Wasn't terrifically interested in either of those stories. So I was the kind of person who went and like looked at the spoiler stuff, looked at the leaks and was like, all right, people are really mad, but maybe not for a good reason. Because people gonna be mad about dumb reasons, so this will be interesting to get your takes firsthand. I haven't listened to any like full blown spoiler content for this game yet, so I'm coming in semi fresh. All I know about the game is from leaks, okay. so I know like some plot points and oh, like boy. people reacting to the themes and being like, "Oh, I like it for that," or "I don't like it for that." So
2: context matters because, like you
0: said, you you kind of watched the first game, you didn't play it. I didn't even like watch a lot of the the rest of the game. I I heard about like certain cut scenes and like plot moments and stuff like that. And it was just like, okay, it's not the kind of schlock that I'm sort of into it's a very, uh, surface level kind of baseline, tr- like dramatic TV sort of, I kind of equate it to how, um, the first season of walking dead was when it was still interesting and not like totally beaten into the ground where I never really, um, resonated with that either, but uh, it was clearly a very popular show. So a lot of people liked it. And I feel like, I just wasn't in the right mood for that kind of game. I don't know if there's ever a mood for me to be into the first Last of Us because a lot of it was the gameplay that I didn't vibe with either. But I wasn't uh, drawn to the storyline or the characters uh, in any case. And I, I fully uh, like realized that's just me. And that's like just because I don't resonate with the character doesn't mean that uh, invalidates the character. Like I really appreciate the level of performance and the the goddamn money they throw at these games. Like They clearly put people in those games. Sure, and whether whether you respect that is another thing. But like, they sure did it. <laughs> my my
1: thing playing this game was reflecting on the first game, how much uh, of a gap I think there is between people who played the first game, people who either watched the cutscenes or read the synopsis, uh, because they're like, oh, it's basically just a visual novel with shitty cover shooting segments. And that's hey, that's an opinion. But playing through this game, I was shocked remembering back. The first game, you know, how much of the story has to be told in sort of the moments in between cutscenes, and these relationships are being built throughout the world, not just during, you know, these segments where you're just watching a, a 3D fucking movie. And it's really a different experience. And I think I can objectively kind of step back and kind of read an overview of the first game and say, yeah, maybe that's not the most inspired thing. But it's about the relationships, right? That's the that's the biggest thing about the first game. is about the relationships, and not just Joel and Ellie, though that's the main thing. And that's not something you can just read a synopsis of, right? That's something that you have to experience. And when you're with these characters for twenty hours, so much happens there. On the other hand, you can have the greatest plot in the world, the most interesting thing in the world, but if your characters fucking suck, the movie's not you know not going to be any good, or the game's not going to be any good, or the book's not going to be any good. And so that's something I was, I was trying to be mindful of playing this game. Really trying to understand why people were unhappy with the leaks. And I never saw the leaks. So I don't know if, if you guys did. Chris, you didn't. Nick, can you just briefly kind of give us an overview of what the leaks were and what people initially reacted to? Other than one of the characters is a transsexual or Ellie's a lesbian. like That's a different controversy we'll talk about later. But just as far as the leaks go, was it just that, spoiler alert, Joel dies at the beginning? Was that like what people reacted
0: to in the leaks or or like what was that primary like leaks that i saw were that yeah in the first like maybe five to ten hours of the game uh joel gets done in with a golf club and then that you play as that character for a good portion of the game for like a third of the game and they they try to trick you into being (laughs) empathetic to a person who is part of the fireflies and the entirety of the first game you're like these fireflies are supposed to be like They're terrorists, you know, they're like this weird covert operation and then trying to, like, that's what a lot of people were upset about was like, what's, what are you trying to tell us? Like, were they the bad guys or boil that down and then also um the storyline with Dina being pregnant with like some dude's baby and then Ellie wanting to be the mom or something and like her trying to have a family <laughs> with Ellie and yeah. that being like a weird thing and then uh Ellie getting her fingers bitten off by Abby at the end and then nobody kills each other so there's no resolution oh but there is That's primarily mostly what it is you know and, and obviously like oh they go to Seattle you know they they have this other guy with them they've you know Doing the switch back and forth. There's the WLF. There's the the weird cultists. You know that kind of stuff. It was all like just like text based stuff. And then uh, like a week before the game came out, some more cutscenes leaked out, and people were making fun of uh, the writing relentlessly, especially in a spot where Ellie projects a sandwich from someone and calls it a bigot sandwich, which that got meme to death. That was a very big meme for a hot minute there.
1: Did that really? happen in the game? I don't have any recollection of a bigot sandwich.
2: It's at the very top. Oh, oh, with the <laughs> fucking
1: bartender. And mm-hmm. okay, okay. So we're going to dive into the story a little bit later, but that's good to know, kind of have the context of the leaks there. And we'll come back to that, but it's understandable why people reacted to those leaks the way they did and why I think that has influenced so many people's opinion of the game who haven't played the game. And again, this is something that you have to experience.
0: I don't know if it really affected too much. I mean, game sold 4 million copies in three days. I feel like it's more of like a Pokemon sword and shield national decks, you know, kind of backlash where there's like a thousand people online who make it abundantly clear that they hate everything and they drown out the, the noise because people focus on negativity more. Like if you get 10 compliments in one day and someone tells you, you look like shit, You're only going to think about that one that tells you you look like shit, even though a vast majority of everyone else is being like positive. So I think that's just like how social media works and it gets the people pay attention to negativity.
1: Chris, did you have, obviously you didn't read the leaks, but had you heard or read any of the sort of controversies or reactions? Did you have any sense of what this game was going to be or, or a sense of what other people thought about it? Or did you go in completely cold?
2: I was cold and Part of that was because I am really conscious of the way that that could have framed my experience in a way I didn't want it to uh, with all media, not just with this. But also because having the leaks happen before the game dropped, I cannot stand people who want to provide commentary on any piece of media, on a film, on a television show on a video game without having consumed the fucking piece of media. It drives me insane because (laughs) context, (laughs) context fucking matters. And people for people to consume these pieces of the game and try to infer what the game is holistically trying to do, which is not what you're doing, Nick. Like you're, you're, you're like, I have information, but I don't have context. You recognize that. But those small group of people on the internet who consume the leaks and were the most vocal about it, and I do feel like it's a small percentage of people on the internet, they don't give a shit. They don't want to consume the game because they are willing to form judgments and be vocal about arguments about something for which they do not have the context to communicate about. So I did not want to hear what they had to say. I almost didn't buy this game. And to be totally honest, I didn't even want this game to exist. Like, after the first game, I said, don't you dare make a sequel to this game but they did and so knowing that I went you know what I want to know for myself I want to consume this for myself I want to see what are you trying to do with this game and just analyze it for exactly what it is not for what I want it to be not for what other people say it is for what I take it to be from my own experience in consuming it so no no leaks
0: it's tough to not want to just dive straight into the story, but I want to can we talk a little bit about the the context of there even being a sequel and what that like we've had this conversation before when the game was first announced when we're talking about like Breaking Bad and then right. doing the the weird Jesse standalone Netflix movie and things like that. But I'm trying to think of other scenarios where a piece of media was formed not with the intention of there being sequels, like Star Wars. explicitly doing a standalone <laughs> thing. Well, even more explicitly than that, like that was a Schlocky sort of one-off kind of thing, so it could have been it was based on serials, which were in a se- like, in essence, there were things made to make sequels. So Star Wars, from the get go, was a story built to have more th- stories. But what I was thinking, the the <laughs> the example I just thought of in my head, which this is gonna sound really shitty, but I thought of just the whole Harry Potter series, the seven books, and then Cursed Child. <laughs> yeah, which is like if it w- okay, it could have been good, it wasn't. Yeah, J.K. Rowling could be not transphobic, but she is, and. So that's like loaded in and of itself. But I'm just thinking like Cursed Child could have been a well-executed story. But did anybody want that? Did anybody need that? And that's sort of what I felt like from The Last of Us. Despite me not like actually playing it, I got, you know, a third of the way through the game. But just from like what everyone said about it, it seemed like a very, you know, wrapped up, you know, that's the story. You know, you don't really need to add more to that. And I think it, I think the Cursed Child cheapens the original series of Harry Potter. It's like Fantastic Beasts cheapens. The, the story as well because you're just trying to extrapolate you're trying to pull from the original and it ends up reducing the the memory of what you had with the the first one first time through is this the first time anyone's made a sequel that was like pretty well received and is by all intents and purposes like not ruining the first one i'm just trying to think of like other examples of that uh that's a good question and
1: i would have to kind of deep dive through some of the stuff I've consumed, but I I gave Star Wars an example because that movie, like the original Star Wars 77, quite literally like regardless of what George Lucas says, that movie was supposed to be a standalone. They blow up the Death Star, Darth Vader dies and everyone gets a fucking medal. Spoiler alert for Star Wars. And then they made the Empire Strikes Back and it was so much better than Star Wars 77.
0: Was it not the first movie where did, was that like a retcon scene of Vader flying away in a freaking... No, uh, it, it existed. His uh, fucking spaceship
1: blew up, and he spins off into space. No! You know. <laughs> uh, he he died. I mean, it's implied that he died. They kept it vague, whatever. You know. <laughs> <Not it's>, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, he, he's fucking dead. And then they made a sequel, and 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 it all worked. I, I did take in my notes here, and I want to point out that the notes I'm pulling from, I started taking the day I started playing the game. Every time I had a thought about this game, I wrote it down. I very early on, maybe 10 hours in, I said, this is a very compelling set of answers to a question and a series of questions that the end of the first game set up. This is very much, at least the first 10 hours when I when I thought this, and this changes as I continue playing the game, but I thought this was the El Camino to the breaking bad. El Camino. Everything it does just enhances the characters that we knew for five seasons. It it answers a question at the end of Breaking Bad. Spoiler alert, Walt is dead. Jesse gets away. It's a very beautiful ending. Him riding off to the sunset, crying. Did it need a sequel? No. But did the sequel we get work? Did it expand on those characters? Did it give us more uh, context for how things wrapped up? You know, and you start to wonder, oh, well, well he wouldn't have just been free. Like, yeah, he would have had fucking cops after him. And he would, like, there are these questions you have at the end of the game. At the end of The Last of Us, there's, at the very, very end, there's a scene where Ellie asks Joel, tell me the truth. Are you lying to me? What happened at that hospital? And he says, I'm not lying to you. And she reluctantly says she believes him. That is a whole fucking can of worms that I absolutely want an answer. I was not happy with that ending. I was mad at Joel for what he did. And the fact that they left us on this relationship I had grown so attached to on, you know, sort of uncertain terms, I absolutely wanted those answers. So I have no problem with this game existing. And I thought those first 10 hours, which we'll get into later, I was very satisfied with how they both presented those questions sort of in retrospect and started to answer them with flashbacks. I was was very happy with the direction it was going. (laughs) Fucking flashbacks. Chris, is my Breaking Bad El Camino sort of comparison? Does that does that track? It? I know this is a game you said you didn't want a sequel to, uh, but we got it, and obviously we both enjoyed it. So, where are you on that
2: after having played the game? I, I kind of like that. Um, I, I, I'll admit, I, I I wasn't like blown away by El Camino. I think it's a fitting epilogue to the Breaking Bad saga for sure. And I saw it in theaters, by the way. I drove. And I got somebody to to pick up an hour of my ship so I could drive an hour and a half to New Orleans to the only theater in the state that was showing it so that I could see it in theaters. I was hype. Hell yeah. And it was fine, like as a film. But I think that, yeah, it it it, it took a lingering question from the end of the series and said, let's unpack that a little bit more. And I think as a starting point for The Last of Us Part Two. It says, "Let's take this question. Let's unpack it a lot." <laughs> yeah, and so I do. I do think that that is a, a fitting, a fitting metaphor. And I think that ultimately, I think our big point of disagreement is that I feel very satisfied with the way that they unpacked it and what the ultimate message of the Last of Us Part Two to me really is. And maybe that's just a little foreshadowing for later. I don't want to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to give the whole uh, the whole card away. Right at the top.
1: So, as a game, both on its own, but also looking on how it iterates on the first game. Which, from a gameplay standpoint, I think that first game was—it was what Naughty Dog does. It's a mediocre cover shooter. The game is about the performances and the characters and the uh, experience, and it's kind of hard to paint a picture of what the experience is. On paper, cover shooters fucking suck. I'm like, that's just my opinion. Like fucking Gears of War, your fucking Nathan Drake's. Like, I don't
0: give a fuck about cover shooters. They're awful. They're not fun. Yeah, and I feel the same way about the stealth games in general, stealth action. Sure, yeah. Which uh, Last of Us seems like it definitely plays both those cards. Absolutely, it does. And I don't like survival games where you're just collecting a bunch of stuff and crafting uh, a shiv. Right, and that I totally respect
1: people who don't find that sort of gameplay compelling. And this is, again... A little foreshadowing for the story discussion later, is there's a point in this game you're playing as a different character and and you don't give a shit about that character yet. And I told my buddy Brennan this. Who we actually played most of this game together. We were on PS Chat playing more or less at the same pace. So so we would share our thoughts with each other. And at one point I just said, like I hate survival horror and I hate stealth games. And I hate cover shooters. So now that I don't have any attachment to this character or these sets of characters... This is just torture for me. I am not having fun doing this right now. And so that's that's probably 12 hours into the game, and there's probably a good five hours where I just was like, fuck this. But as a survival horror game, as a stealth cover shooter, if that's your jam, this is exceptionally done. Everything from, from the combat itself, whether it's hand-to-hand combat, for the most part, feels really nice. Uh, being able to go prone. Enemy AI is so overwhelmingly intelligent that you feel like you're fucked no matter what you do, but it also doesn't feel cheap like, you know, you're playing a fucking Mario Kart game or something. You feel that dread of like, oh, I'm actually being hunted. And and you have to actually think about where you are and, and how you're navigating uh, the level, so to speak. Chris, I want you to speak to that a little bit, what your experience with sort of this type of game. I don't know if this is a genre that you've dipped your toes into. It certainly hasn't been for me. And the first game, that was a big hurdle for me.
2: When I played The Last of Us Part 1, I had never played a cover shooter. I abhorred stealth games. And <laughs> I really was not into horror at all. Like, I think I played Bioshock, and that's like as close as I got to a horror game. That's
1: definitely a and, horror game.
2: Yeah, for sure. And in Part 1, I pressed through gameplay that. I did not that did not resonate with me because I was compelled by the story and the performances and and you know to you know I want to acknowledge that I'm coming from a theatrical background you know that is my industry and so having these performances that were as close to like authentically lifelike as I've ever seen in a game really drew me in and I think in part two even more so that like these are people like they they did it in terms of like creating human behavior in a video game like they did it like this is it this should be the baseline for which we evaluate human performance in video games absolutely in in part 2 this game was a joy to play an absolute joy to play. I remember thinking back on the first game, it's all these horizontal level designs, right? You're on one floor of a building. You're on like the blown out remains of a uh, uh, of a 7-11 or whatever and people are coming in through the windows and you have to get away from them. But in this game, I mean, the first time they drop me into a neighborhood of like split level Seattle homes, And every single wall had cracks and crannies I could slip through. I could drop down into crouched stealth or go prone in the grass and start popping people with a rifle or with the, the silence pistol. I lived on the silence pistol (laughs) in this game. It was an absolute joy to play this game, which sounds like kind of, kind of fucked up because you kill a lot of people, but the way that you interact with the game's world is so masterfully done. Like, there are truly a thousand ways to get through any encounter. And really early in the game, I remember bungling an interaction in a, uh, a laundromat. We've all been there. We had a disagreement over soap. Um, but part of the reason <laughs> why my playthrough took a little bit longer than some people's is not only that I'm meticulous, but that I am very willing to mash that restart checkpoint button. And they do a great job of giving you a lot of micro checkpoints through the game so that you can really think about how do I want to play this? So I went back and I looked at the laundromat again and I went, they've got somebody on the roof. That means I can be on the roof. And this was not a thing that you could do in the first game. And so I got up there, took him out quietly. I've got the high ground. I could pick off a couple of people before they're alerted and then they're all going to come up the same fucking ladder and I can just take them all out. And then when I got down there, I went, oh, if I'd have gone around the front side of the building, I could have come in through this crack in the wall. Taking these two people out. There's just, there's so many ways that you can play any given situation that it was just a blast to figure out how can I most optimally go through this encounter because the game, in keeping with its themes, the way that the game plays out in terms of the resources you have available to you is that it's very scarce. And that even when you've got full ammunition, you can bet that there's a section coming up where they're going to test you if you can maintain that amount of resource hoarding, right? Where they're gonna either make you use it or they're gonna say, now you've got it, are you sure you wouldn't want to use it in this group of people? It would make this a little bit more a little bit easier for you. Um so the brutality of the world in that regard, there's symmetry in the way that the game is brutal and it doles out resources. So there's a lot of different ways to get through encounters that allow you to hold on to those precious few shotgun shells or rifle bullets or Thank God they did away with Shivs in the first half uh, those, yeah. those crafting resources it was it was it was a joy like this game absolutely I, I think should be the benchmark for for the cover shooter. So I'm about, about to make a comparison
1: that is, might, might be a little bit weird but I, I couldn't help but think while I was playing this I kept comparing the Witcher 3 to Skyrim. In the sense that The Witcher 3 is a very sort of horizontal game, right? You spend almost the entire time on one plane, right? Just galloping across the land, slaying monsters out in in the sort of wide open. Occasionally, you would go through a quote-unquote dungeon section, but it was very horizontal. Whereas Skyrim is very vertical. There are all sorts of nooks and crannies. Every sort of home is deliberately crafted and you're exploring every nook and cranny, every bookshelf for, for not just for resources, but but lore and all sorts of things. This game compared to The Last of Us Part One, I got that same vibe. Like you you, you mentioned it earlier, where the first game is very linear, right? It's, it's section to section, level to level, encounter to encounter. And the pacing was really not very good. Uh, and it felt like a slog at times. Whereas this game is 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 very vertical. You there's so much to explore, and you feel like you're rewarded wherever you go, whether that's with resources, which again never felt. Like I never felt like, oh my god, I'd rather be doing anything else except for collecting a box of scraps. You know that's that's not my thing. Oh boy, pills. And, and part of this is also the the skill tree and the weapon upgrades felt way more meaningful this time. And so when you found something, you got excited to go, oh, I found a new upgrade tree, a a training manual, so I have a whole new tree to explore, and that is going to influence how I play these next encounters. So it always felt like, holy shit, I got fucking 30 more Band-Aids, bitch. Let's let's do this thing. And so that also helped. It wasn't just, all right, I'm going to go fucking collect some screws so that I can have plus two ammo. I'm going to do that repeatedly for 20 hours. I would be willing to bet that, Chris, our playthroughs were vastly different because we chose very different upgrade paths. Like I'm primarily, I'm a gunner. So full disclosure, I was playing this on the lowest difficulty setting, so I could get away with with yeah,, wah, yeah, I could get away with shooting my way out of more encounters than I otherwise may have done, but and that's not all encounters. I definitely played a fair bit of stealth. But I felt like no matter what type of playthrough you wanted to have, you always felt rewarded for for exploring. And not just from a resource perspective, but also a lore perspective. I collected almost everything in this game, and I read every note. You know, which I didn't do in the first game. I didn't give a shit about any of the stuff I found in the first game. The world that they crafted, and and not just... Like, in the first game, I felt like the notes you find or the journals you find... They're sort of painting a with broad strokes like what this world is, right? And you're learning what this alternate reality is like. And that's fine. I'm not as interested in that. In this game, they would tell these little stories where you'd go in for the first floor of an apartment building and you would find a note. And then you would find in the next room the body of the person who wrote that note. Oh, I, you know, I got bit. I'm not going to go out like this. And you find their fucking suicide in the next room. And then you upstairs you find a note from the person they were writing to, and it's telling these little stories throughout that are that are really compelling, or you know, you'll find uh at one point you come across the first safe in the game, and there are these safes that you can crack, and there are always context clues uh, where you can either uh you know they either give you a code to unlock it, or you have to like use the context clues, like find what the combo is and stuff like that. Again, always feels rewarding. So I tried to do everything. I explored every nook and cranny that I could through most of the game. Towards the end, I I, I kind of gave up on that. And again, that's a that's a later discussion. But yeah, the level design is is spectacular. The resource management never felt too obtuse. Like you always, again, you always felt like you were doing something meaningful. And something that I want to get your take on is the pacing of this game. And I think there are two there are two sides to this. I think on one hand, the pacing of the game really falls off in the middle when you switch to playing as Abby. But that's more of a narrative thing and an emotional thing. I think encounter to encounter, the pacing of this game is unbelievable. Going from an incredibly stressful, I'm fighting zombies or I'm fighting one of these factions to moments where you know whether it's a flashback or it's just some story beats where you're exploring a town or whatever you never feel i never felt anyway overwhelmed to the point where i said i gotta stop i gotta stop playing around every corner of some brutal experience where your adrenaline's going and your anxiety is going and you're like fuck this there's something that makes you feel like all right i can actually relax for a second like i don't feel like something's about to bust through that door i'm getting a character moment uh, or something that makes me want to get to the next stressful encounter. like, And I can't really explain it because I'm not smart enough, I guess. I don't know anything about game design. But but the way they've structured things and paced things, it always kept me coming back for more. In a way that the game, the, again, the first game was a slog. It took me two weeks to beat the first game. I would play it in small increments. I'd say, fuck this. How does anyone find this fun? And then you get into the characters. Then you force yourself to go back because you need to know what happens. This game didn't have that. The, the encounter to encounter pace was... It was perfect all the way through. And again, whether that's a flashback, whether that's a cutscene, or whether that's even switching from, again, fighting zombies to one of the other factions, because fighting hordes of infected versus fighting the wolves versus
2: fighting the Seraphites,
1: those are completely different encounters.
2: I'm with you. The variety of encounters, I think, is a big part of what made it such an interesting and varied experience that you can get away with more with each group. I think that it's easier to play stealthily when you're fighting infected because they follow a much more prescribed set of rules. I do think in terms of what they did with the AI that you can't just wait and watch for patterns. That they, the infected move just asynchronously enough between each other that if you think, oh, I'm going to go now, To get that clicker, you're going to be spotted by a runner on the other side because his pattern is just just set so that if you go at that moment, he's going to see you because you waited three rotations or whatever. It's not not easy. But people, that was much different and I, I, I think more difficult, but also it had its own things that you could exploit, right? Like one of my favorite plays in this game was to stealth kill the first person i could find put a trip mine over their body and wait for the next person to find them because if you sow like a little bit of chaos into those encounters it spreads them out so much more widely in a way they would not have been because when you start any encounters with the wlf they are tightly clustered everyone is in pairs and so getting that first person is so critical to that encounter in a way that the with the infected it's not you could really play it very, very differently. And the Seraphites too, like I remember that, oh, that sequence when you're on the island in day three of Abby's chapter and you get like these vegetable fields, like that was that was such a different set of rules than everything else was in encounter- interacting with the game and with all these people. They really made you think about every encounter. I also appreciate in terms of the audiovisual design, they do a great job of telling you when you're still in an encounter and when you're done with an encounter. And I think that that matters, right? Because if they just create this sense of like dread all the time, that's not as effective a storytelling tool for the, the story they're telling and how they're telling it. That there are moments of respite and moments of beauty in between this brutality. And that's what we're looking for. Like we hear in one of Abby's chapters from, from Owen, who's someone of no small significance to her, maybe we stopped looking for the light. And that's a quote that I came back to when I was analyzing the gameplay, but also the story, especially, which we'll get to later, of course. Um, but those moments of light, like when, when, uh, when Ellie plays take on me in the music store for Dina, like almost like brought me to tears because we've gone through all of this like really ugly prologue and Joel is not long dead and there's this really lovely aside really that contributes nothing to the goal of finding the people who killed Joel but is still really beautiful and really human um so the game gives you those moments of beauty in between the moments of brutality all the way down to how it aurally designs the environments when you're in and out of encounters the score is very different
1: and that's one thing that the first game didn't didn't do a good job of and people i've seen in reviews draw comparisons to the first game and favorably compared how this game also paced its you know paced itself similarly i don't think the first game had any moments like that like you just described and there are like six of those moments that i can think of off the top of my head where what not the giraffe that's the thing, that's the draft, that's the only fucking moment in that game that I can even, I'm like, listen, one encounter with a draft that lasted 30 seconds, that, that does not fucking count. And I can't think of another moment in that first game, I just watched the whole 10 hour run of cutscenes leading up to Last of Us Part 2, the whole goddamn thing, and there are very few moments like that where you actually feel like, I am just here in this moment with this character, or these characters, and, and this is a, a, a lovely aside, I mean, six, seven, eight moments in The Last of Us Part Two that I can think of that I'm like, oh man, that, just what a great moment. These moments to moment, it's just, it's captivating.
0: Yeah, they clearly learned from that one moment in The Last of Us 1, like, you know, we should probably do more of that. There's something to this whole rising and falling action sort of uh, <laughs> right. variety of tensions that, you know, actually is captivating, huh? Maybe we should try that this right. time. <laughs> and thank God they did. Absolutely. I do have to say again,
1: You know, I was using accessibility controls, but at one point in the game, I turned on the um, go invisible when prone option, which is like really cheap, right? And I was telling you yesterday, Chris, that there was also an option that allowed me to have a waypoint you could turn on. So I always knew where the game wanted me to go to further the story, which I actually really liked having because, and again, I said this yesterday, but... You know, I'm a guy who I really don't like Metroidvania games. I don't like games where I feel like I have to explore to like properly enjoy the game. Whereas a game like like Elder Scrolls rewards you for
0: exploring, but you don't. You are just like to. running around mashing X. I'm a pick gunner, this up, bro. Pick this up. I'm pick, a this gunner. up pick
2: this up. <laughs> no wonder you played on baby mode. <laughs> yeah, I mean, seriously though,
1: and listen, I have friends who also played it on baby mode, so I know I'm not alone, and I don't feel bad. I play games how you know i want to enjoy them i I don't like feeling like i have to explore and then not knowing like where it wants me to go and then oh shit am i gonna miss an encounter or am i gonna miss an easter egg or a or, or a resource because i went too far so with the waypoint accessibility option i constantly knew like okay they want me to go west so i'm gonna go east and I'm going to explore all those buildings and know that I'm not going to fuck anything up. So I felt like I could explore every nook and cranny with intention without the stress or feeling lost. Like I have six branches right now and three of them go to the same place and three of them go to different places. And, and that's that's the Metroidvania hater in me. Context for those of you listening, Chris's favorite fucking franchise in the world is Metroid. Um, so, I'm triggering him right now. Just tell him that Fusion is the best Metroid. Other M, it's my favorite Metroid game. Shout out to the Wii, the best console ever. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Sorry, Chris. Uh, are think? we are, are we quite done? Yeah.
1: <laughs> I don't feel bad for playing it on baby's first video game mode. I don't feel bad. I, I think it enhanced my experience. If your
0: baby's first video game is The Last of Us 2. <laughs> <laughs> of you're doing do you Dare to do you dare Your do you wrong, wrong, <laughs>
2: bro. <laughs> All right. Oh man!
0: Let's traumatize
2: this this child. Yeah. Like, look, I EJ. When I got to Santa Barbara, I got why you did that. I didn't respect it, but I got it. Like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay.
2: I just, just, just to be frank, because I was like, oh, this is the first time I think in both games that they gave you some really good daylight horror. Yes. Oh, I love that. That was. I mean, I just watched Midsommar like three months ago and was like holy shit this film is incredible um and so that was kind of on my mind when i got to santa barbara and i went oh my god it is a very different experience trying to kill things in broad daylight let alone when like a patrol of human traffickers comes across you um in this train station which i've been to in real life incidentally that was kind of cool to see digitally uh in santa barbara but yeah, I, I get why you did it, because that presented, and again, this speaks to the brilliance of the game's design, that presented a completely different set of challenges than literally the first 80% of the game did. Right. Mine
1: was more of a uh, born out of a desire to finish the game as soon as possible. I just spent 12 plus hours playing as Abby, and I, was, I wanted to get back to Ellie, and I wanted to just further the plot as quick as possible. Um, I did love the change in environment. And this is something I think the first game did better was you sort of had this journey across America thing, right? Different seasons, longer mm. passage of time, which is exactly. And the way they mark the passage of time in this game is very interesting and really obviously supports narratively, you play the first three days as Ellie. You play the same three days as Abby. very interesting way of 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 telling that story. and, The stuff you do in Ellie's journey you see reflected in in Abby's journey, and and it's interesting. But yeah, the seasons and seeing the different cities, different climates, that was much more interesting to me, uh, sort of on a broad level. So when we got to Santa Barbara, I was really excited, and I was actually hoping that I had another six hours in the game. I was thinking, okay, Ellie's first three days is is Act 1, Abby's is Act 2, and now this Act 3 is going to bring us back to our resolution, Well, really, it was only another hour of gameplay, unfortunately. So it was nice to get the change in environment. I'm sad it was so short-lived. Because Seattle is gray and rainy the whole time. Just like real life. Exactly. So it's either wet and dark, or dark and dark, or you're in a fucking building, which is dark. It's just like, the variety was such a welcome change of pace. So I'm glad. Sometimes it's wet and wet. Well, there was a scene or two where things got wet and wet. You know oh, oh, stop, man. stop,
2: <laughs> stop. I'm going to get this back to a real topic of conversation. And that is, I want to stump for the variety of the level design and plant some seeds for the story conversation that even though atmospherically, it was similar. The progression of the level design was really well done. Like yes, the descent through the hotel in oh. Abby's second day is one of the best sections of any game I've ever played. Like that was so brilliantly designed. The way yes. you can interact with it across floor to floor, the way that it the way that they worked, the camera and the way that the sound worked when Abby, who is afraid of heights, looks down at this like 20 hotel floor chasm that spans beneath her. Um, and that if you if you try to go back to the edge a second time, she stumbles and grabs the pipe and then forces herself backwards. little things like that, but the level of them is incredible. And I, the most anxious part of this game, and maybe across both games, going into the hospital, it which was ground zero for Seattle's infection, was absolutely outstanding. It's fascinating. And- yeah, and the way reading the lore of that section, I agree with you, by the way, that I absolutely ate the lore of this game up. I loved seeing the little stories weave their way through each section. And then in uh, when Ellie gets the bow in the Hillcrest area of Seattle, you've been reading all these notes about this guy who's this incredible archer who hasn't been willing to submit to the WLF, and they killed they killed his daughter who has been tagging the WLF signs and he's not down with that. And he's going to get his revenge. You have to kill his zombie to get the bow. Yeah, And it's like this yeah. little, this little mini boss encounter where I had this like really weird, empathetic response of, Oh man, like I'm so with you, but this is where you are now and that's just little moments of tragedy but then knowing that like his legacy continues because i have that bow and i'm using it for such similar purposes it just really really struck me but the level design the progression of the level design that even when you switch characters and this is still technically gameplay conversation i'm not getting ahead of myself even though you switch characters and your skill tree resets a They throw a ton of pills and parts at you and manuals in the first two days of Abby's story so that you can get up to speed more quickly, I feel. But the levels continue to get more complex as you enter her story so that your progression through more difficult level design is not impacted by switching characters in the narrative. I thought that was really smart in a really small, subtle way.
1: Uh, I definitely agree. And I think that what you do as Abby is so much more interesting than what you do as Ellie. And and when we get to the story stuff, I'm going to argue for why I still think playing as Abby was was probably a mistake, but her her arc and what she actually does and accomplishes is way more interesting. And and you're right about the level design. I think mechanically speaking, resetting your weapons tree or your uh, your skill tree was a bad decision I think from a lore perspective it would not have been immersion breaking to just either had a set level of skills already haven't been unlocked or or maybe not the same stuff as Ellie but I agree that they tried their best to make it not feel like this cumbersome thing or this insurmountable thing they did and I appreciate that the design uh, philosophy there but It it took the wind out of my sails, man. Not only leaving Ellie on this insane high and switching to a character that not only did I not care about, like I hated her and I hated her friends, and I knew exactly what they were trying to do when they wanted us to play as this character, and I was totally against it for a large portion of the game. But then the kick in the balls when you saw that all the progress you had made, all the exploring that I did, was for nothing. In the back of my mind, what it justified it was okay. It's a new character we're going to go back to ellie so i'll let it go in hindsight i wish they hadn't done it because i feel like i wasted a little bit of time again not into the in the encounter to encounter aspect like i explored with abby to to build her up but sort of looking at a broad overview like i feel like that time was wasted like i would have just preferred to just get into the gameplay and not have to worry about that after 12 hours and then obviously in hindsight going back to ellie knowing you only play as her for another hour I wish they had done it differently. I don't think it was a glaring blemish. You know, it's not weapon durability in Breath of the Wild, right? But it is is—it is a complaint of mine, and I feel like I could have done better. But I appreciate, I guess, the attention to detail like you were pointing out, even if it didn't necessarily totally land for me.
0: Is there a reason why there's a skill tree in this game Bes- besides every game needs a skill tree? Why do these characters need to have a besides the making the player feel stronger as you play more why does there have to be a skill tree
2: <laughs> i found myself thinking about like thinking critically about what is it how does it work and not work that i'm gathering these specific resources to do these specific things like getting gun parts to upgrade your guns makes perfect sense right and getting blades and and binding whether that's tape or medical bandages or whatever in order to make specific things like that all pretty much scans and then you can you gather pills and shove them down your throat to gain new skills and i'm like is this the most cohesive execution of this idea no
0: yeah it seems like a, a means to an end like they had a thing they wanted to do so they had to think of a way to accomplish that thing i feel like it could have been more interesting if instead of like a skill tree you just had guns that you had because it's it's a resource game. So if you had a gun that you didn't have ammo for anymore, you wouldn't have that gun anymore, essentially like, Oh, I've got this really cool fucking like you get like a rocket launcher for like a day because you, but you you find like three grenades that goes in the damn thing. So you, you have to, you have that satisfaction of using the thing and being strong for a moment, but that's limited. I feel like, I feel like too many games sort of like ham fistedly force, uh, skill trees and RPG
2: progression into them. I do think it works. And I think it works because it, most of the, most of the upgrades that you get, if not all of them, are how to craft more things out of what you have or how to craft them faster. So it's more about how can you become better at using what you already have as you interact with it over a more prolonged period of time than it is about like, skill tree arbitrary like it feels to me like things that would happen if you spent three days in a specific environment where you were fighting for your life that you would know oh i can squeeze a third pipe bomb out of this by conserving resources i don't need to use this many i can spread that over three instead of two right like or i can apply this this bandage faster because oh my god i don't have a choice i don't have time to wrap it for 20 seconds i have to wrap it in 10 seconds or i'm gonna die like i I bought it to your point nick i think
1: there are a few of the skill branches and and we're gonna touch on these real quick um there are i think four or five skill branches a i mean that's kind of the point of video games is to get in and to progress and feel stronger and be more equipped to deal with what the game is throwing at you
0: i disagree with that wholeheartedly. I don't think every game needs to have a character progression to it. I agree. Mario doesn't need a skill tree. (laughs) (laughs) A cover shooting pseudo RPG does, you know? just saying, Resident Evil 4 is highly regarded as one of the best games of all time. And I don't remember it having a skill tree. You just got different things occasionally. (laughs) And that's what this game is. It's another Resident Evil 4. I mean, if we really boil it down. If you're inherently opposed to skill trees, this game is not going to convince you that it does it well. I'm just sick of bad ones. Like I like a good one, you know? And it's very rare that it's a good one. God of War had a bad one. <laughs> you know? I guess it depends on what you want out of it. God of
1: War, which is a game that I have tried to play twice and it did not resonate with me. I like the skill tree. Because it was like, oh, collect resource or, or uh, skill points, essentially. Unlock this cool new power. Holy shit, I can do this cool new thing. Like, that's, that's video games, you know? So maybe it, it can feel a little obtuse sometimes. Like, I have to collect so much of this thing or I have to go so far to my way to unlock this one thing. And maybe that doesn't feel meaningful. In Last of Us, most of it is crafting related. It's it's crafting more ammo or types of ammo. It is upgrading your capacity. It is crafting new sorts of things like uh, uh, smoke bombs. You can craft silencers. Like like say you're you're in an apartment and you find that bottle of pills and a fucking box of screws. What you do with those now fundamentally changes how you experience the rest of the game from that point on. And I think it works really well in this game because everything you're able to craft makes you think about the game differently and it changes how you can navigate. And some people like me, like I never once set up a trip, trip mine, Chris, not one time in this game. You're a gunner. I'm a fucking gunner. Uh, I threw some pipe bombs. uh, I threw a smoke bomb one time, but I appreciate that it's there for the people who want to play the game like that. And it's not just like in the first game. It's just, you know, listen better, craft more health, craft shivs I don't break as easily, and that's like it. Whereas this has a like a precision branch where your 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 listen mode is better and you can aim faster and your aim is more stable. And again, from a from like a an immersion standpoint and from a lore standpoint, yeah, it doesn't make sense that you're using band aids and screws to have better aim. Whatever, it doesn't make sense that you get shot in the fucking chest and you wrap something around your arm and you're healed. Like yeah. There is a fucking disconnect there in video. Yeah, I games. just
0: wanted to to ask if it was worth the trade off of having that sort of ludo narrative dissonance. I was gonna
2: say it if you didn't.
0: <laughs> like someone had to. Like I, I, just, I want the the mechanics to support the the choices made. I mean, for someone who's not gonna play this game, and I'm just trying to like peek into what you're what you're saying and what you like about it. I I just wanted that to be justified. I think it's fundamental
1: to the experience. And I said it at the top, watching this game, it fundamentally changes how the story is told and what you glean from the story. And I think uh, both the resource collecting and those skill trees and the weapon upgrades, which we can talk about in a sec, I think those are fundamental to the world they've built and how you process what these characters are doing and why they're doing it. And it's what
0: makes this type of game work. Do they ever do the? Do they ever try to do like a meta narrative on that at all, or is it just video game trying to be a video game?
1: Uh, that's a good question. I don't. I don't remember any point where they point that out or poke fun at it.
0: Because even you saying that you start a, a different skill tree and you start from step zero when you switch characters, I feel like I don't know. It would have been clever if they tried to say something
2: like that, but I I wholeheartedly doubt that that was ever their intent. I don't. I can't say that that's something that consciously landed and was well executed. But I do think that when you switch characters right from the jump with Abby, they force you to think about them differently. And they do play a little bit differently, not only in terms of the skills that they offer you but the way that they present the characters and the types of encounters they present you in like i would hope so it'd be weird if it was just like oh now i'm playing a different skin of ellie but with different character motivations <laughs> right exactly and abby is more physically capable than ellie and so i found myself being more willing to engage in fist fights being more willing to in- use ammo and engage in shootouts and some of that is the weapon they give you right at the top like abby has a pretty impressive semi-automatic rifle that holds 18 rounds that can one shot on a headshot right out of the gate. Like Abby is a soldier and Ellie is not. And so that changes the way that you have to interact with the game and the way that they introduce the skill trees um, is very different uh, and presents its own sets of of challenges and uh, potential successes. It's also worth
1: noting that you don't need to upgrade anything in your skill tree to be competent or enjoy this game. It enhances the experience in um, that resource management. It, I think it's a, a really important part to how this story is told. And but if all you do is your weapon upgrades and you don't care about having 50% more health, like you don't ever need to go down that route. I like, think the weapon upgrades are much more important, but I think it's worth noting that it's it's kind of it's not something the game forces you to do, but rewards you immensely for for going any way to do.
2: I think I agree. And as it pertains to what I was saying initially about the pills being the only thing that I don't really buy in terms of the upgrade system and the resource management system, (laughs) let me just shovel 50 supplements down my throat and now my health kits are 100% better or whatever. Like- I, I don't buy that as essentially. As long as it plays
0: a good sound, like the Final Fantasy level up music. It's, it's then, literally then it's literally
2: like shaking and then whoop, like that's it's it. A, it's a great sound though. It's a great <laughs> sound swallowing in this game. noise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, swallowing noise, A plus. You can quote me on that. Just um, even the sound
1: of when you pick up some, a box of screws, like yeah. <laughs> the, the scavenging sounds are like, dude, I could ASMR myself to sleep with that shit, bro. Oh, absolutely.
2: Hope their hope Foley team got paid. <laughs> yeah, right. I was picking up my car keys this morning to go to work, and I literally like grabbed them with my full palm and my arm outstretched, and was like, "Wait, just a fucking minute!" <laughs> like, Wait. literally grabbed it like they would have get grabbed it in the game. Um, I grabbed something back, from a top shelf, but I keep my head down here the whole time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but but to your to your point to your point, the weapon upgrades, and maybe this is a good segue for us, the weapon upgrades are infinitely more important that. I slapped a scope on that fucking rifle as fast as possible. And that absolutely changed the dynamic of the entire game that I could sit back from cover and the game, again, the audiovisual design, the game is really good about telling you when you're detected, when you're on the way to being detected and when you're just kind of detected. And so I could hear that growing sound, but no, they haven't seen me yet and dome somebody who's in the sniper's nest or whatever and pop down into cover and run around a few corners and know that I'm not going to have six guys on me immediately. Like that completely changed the dynamic of how I interacted with the world. So I, I agree with you. The weapon upgrades are much more necessary. And I think that they also in fitting more with the world, it's appropriate that they're more necessary.
1: Yeah. Is there anything I'm missing, uh, Chris, as far as just, uh, well, not that that was a brief overview, that was an hour on the gameplay and mechanics, but is there anything uh, that you want to touch on that I I missed? Uh,
2: yes. And that is uh, the guitar. Oh, ho, ho. And, yeah, and absolutely. Uh, and I yeah. want to introduce this because I think that it's a major arrow in my quiver for my thematic analysis of the game, the way that the guitar, Ellie interacts with the guitar, but the way that you play the guitar in this game. For those who didn't play, y- you can set a whole a whole array of different chord progressions, and some of them are automated, but at certain points you can just choose the chord sets that you want, and you use the joysticks to select chords, and you, you, you stroke your fingers across the touch bar of the PS4 to strum the guitar, and it really is an effective use of that in a way that i've never seen on that absolutely useless touch bar on the ps4
0: you can also uh touch the the touchpad individually to pluck individual strings i had no idea really i saw a video of someone covering hallelujah yeah it's insane i mean like i mean it is clunky when you think about it
1: but like it has to be (laughs) right it has to be but as far as what they're trying to give you it works surprisingly well it's the best thing since ocarina of time yeah no shit right fucking C-stick. Wind Waker your C-stick <laughs> yeah yeah what they're what they're trying to give you works really well and be able to quickly switch through like a minor scale or a major scale and I, I was just going down the rabbit hole today of people like playing Metallica on fucking Ellie's guitar what a dumb fucking thing <laughs> it's, it's just it's just so cool and it obviously is important to the story it's just I cannot not I cannot die. <laughs>
0: um, sorry yeah I, no, you got it, me on a
1: Metallica track dude it, let's go i know what our intro is going to be today (laughs) yeah it's uh it's obviously an important story connection between joel and ellie uh you get those moments with dina and ellie the whole end of the game is viewed through that prism
0: of this this guitar and what it meant to these people and before we before we transition into uh the storyline and like how you guys feel about that whole thing I just wanted to double back a little bit to the reason I brought up the skill tree a little bit more in that I just think it's weird that a game, two games, who's so they're so driven by the story and it seems like they still have these video game hangups where they're trying to give players choice, but they don't want the players to feel like they have choice in any other aspect. So I thought is there a reason why they're doing this? Is there like a commentary on that? Because otherwise I can understand why people would feel upset that they have no choice in the ending of the last of us one and whether or not they can, you know, go through the hospital and kill everyone or, you know, take Ellie away. Like, because throughout the game you have the choice in all these different encounters and you have the skill tree. Like you're literally customizing this character. Like you said earlier, your Ellie is probably different than my Ellie. Like our builds are different. That's such a video game thing. And choices are fun in video games because of the only media that you have choice in. But I think choice is an enemy of storytelling. I feel like the more uh, the more agency you give to a person in a story, the less intent that story has. Because it's no longer your story that you're telling. It's a conversation. It's a dialogue, which is a different thing. And it can still be really good and like captivating and thrilling, but it's not a story anymore. So I was just wondering about that sort of dichotomy.
1: Yeah, I think there is a disconnect there. But just kind of off the cuff... I think the difference between a game like The Witcher, where Geralt definitely has a set personality, but you can choose to play on either end of the spectrum. But then when you get back to the cutscenes or or his interactions with other characters, there is this disconnect if you decide to go either direction.
0: Yeah, it just turns into like a, a story that's written in a spreadsheet as opposed to a story that was written. Whereas I think a
1: game like this, the choice the choices you're given are important to the gameplay, but it's less about making this character what you want it to be and more it's a way to get to know the character. People complaining a a people complaining about the end of The Last of Us. Like, yeah, you can stealth your way through the hospital, but the, at the end of the day you go into a cutscene and you stab that doctor in the fucking neck. Like that is what it is, <laughs> right? It's not like, "Well, I never killed my doctor." Yes, you did. We all did. <laughs> We all watch the same cutscene, and the game doesn't give you so much choice that you can, you know, it's, it's not Skyrim, right? You are living within this set parameter and everything in between is, again, it's just about getting to know those characters, but I don't think any choice you make in the game fundamentally changes. You know, I mean, I guess if you get to the entire game without like, well, you can't even do that. I would say if you get to the entire game without murdering anyone and then you make the case that Joel's a fucking angry murderer, it's like, well, no, you can't even really choose to like knock people out versus kill them. Like at the end of the day, the choices you make still leads you to the same places. And you can say, well, isn't that futile? Maybe it is. But again, it's a completely different way of looking at storytelling where you look at a film, you know, you have ninety to to 180 minutes or whatever to like tell, tell this story versus a book or a series of books or a television show over 10 hours. And this is, I
0: think more akin to a television show, But obviously giving you this agency... It has to be. Right. Like you are saying with Rising and Falling Tension, like if you had that in a movie, you would get... (laughs) It would be exhausting. Right. But you need that over that length of time and that level of interaction. The choices they
1: give you, they do feel meaningful to the gameplay, but they don't... For me, at no point did it feel like it was taking my agency away from this story because I never expected to have agency of the story. I guess I, I recognize that this is what this they're telling a story and I'm interacting with it to, 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 to get to know these characters. But I never once felt like, you know, they're taking something from me or, or I wouldn't have done that. Well, I mean, I do feel that, I mean, at the end of the last one was I wouldn't have done that, but like every choice I made in the game
0: made sense within
1: the context of that character.
0: So I just want to know if the choices are supported by the outcomes. Sure. And right. It, it makes it a little bit more understandable when people are so trained by video games to uh, look for the choices that you can make. Like I watched the first like five minutes of someone playing the last of us part two. And the first thing he did, you know, after talking to Tommy and the the shack and they're riding horses back and he gets to the opening gate of their little shanty town that they have built. And the first thing he does is he, he rides his horse to the right to look for stuff, rides his horse to the left to look for stuff and then goes through the gate. And it's like, did that add anything? Even having that choice, to wander around that area that added nothing you just put off you know for two minutes going into this place because it's a video game because we have that agency and it's just it's just weird it's just this weird sort of dissonance between that being a tv show and this being a video game you know and like how those stories are told and like i feel like every time the video game is a video game it takes away from your ability to absorb a story so i've never seen a video game with a good story and i hold on to that I think they could do good stuff, and I've been emotionally engaged by by video games. But there's no, never been a good video game story.
1: I, yeah, I definitely disagree with that. I think again, this is the disconnect between watching it and and playing it. And listen, I respect if you're not into the way video games tell stories. I agree. Historically, there's not a lot of great stuff out there. But like those moments are so important to how the game tells its story and how it builds their characters like yeah you could have just gone through the building and gotten into the into the encounter sooner
0: well this is another cutscene after that so it was just like the person it was a tutorial to how to ride a horse that's what that's that's what that section serves well that's important in a video game but also yeah exactly but it's not important to a story (laughs) like we all know Joel can ride a horse well I'm saying what are these characters (laughs) saying to each other in that time nothing they're just riding they're riding horses back to the town because they have their conversation then they have another conversation being like you know, Joel, I would have done the same thing. That that was the conclusion to that that section story-wise. Sure. Saying having control over a character makes for a bad story. That's all I'm saying.
1: You see, in that moment, I would argue that not only is someone coming off of a sequel and knowing that story, now you're you're entering this town and you see like what's happened. They've they've built this town in Jackson to to be this real community. And it's like you're exploring the world and and it's a moment to let the words they've said and are about to say in the next cutscene means something more because you've experienced this world yourself. And I I don't hold anything against you if you're like, well, I don't want that. I want to watch a movie. That's fine. But for the people who are invested, that is such a unique way to get people to give a shit. And there, it can feel forced. There are times where it, games can force you into that, and you're like, this isn't working for me. It's funny. Last of Us is a game that made me feel that in particular quite a bit in the second act. But in some of those... those more granular moments, I think those all serve a greater purpose and
2: never bored me. So, Chris, you are dying to say some stuff. I, I am chomping at the bit, but I was doing so non-verbally for the sake of the cleanliness <laughs> of this recording. I, my response to this is twofold. I think that the reason why it matters that stories like this that are so difficult to tell are being told in games is that it does Require a higher degree of empathy on the part of the player than consuming film media does because you are pressing the buttons. Like, I literally, during the last confrontation in this game, had my controller as far away from my chest as I possibly could while I was pushing the square button to drive that knife into Abby's shoulder because I didn't want to do it. But I still wanted to know where the story was going to go. And so that empathetic journey enhances the storytelling in that it makes me it makes me give a shit about what i'm doing and in a sort of brechtian sort of way to to kind of bring this to theatrical theory makes me disengage from the material to a second for for a second to analyze it and second as it pertains to sort of more this this bigger conversation about like games and choice in games, and again, my vocabulary is very theatrical, but a video game is never going to let you decide the intention of its character. The character is always going to want what the writers want the character to want, but the tactical palette in a game like this that you choose the way in which they go about achieving objective can be customized in a way that makes it more specific to you and your aesthetic or ideals, or as the case may be empathy, because I did note and I didn't know this in my own playthrough, uh, which maybe says something about me, but it's possible to play through the game only killing one dog. I did not know that because like a quick
0: time event for kill a dog, right? Yes,
2: it is. Um, but I didn't know that. And so when I'm interacting with the game world and I know that like that dog is going to be on my scent trail in two seconds, I killed the dogs first. I literally was like, as soon as I realized I could Molotov the dogs and that would be the end of the dog. Like that was the strat for the rest of dog encounters. But for people who don't want to do that, Yes, they force you to do it. And yes, that's a valid conversation, which maybe we'll have and maybe we won't have. Call of Duty has been fucking doing this for years. So I don't know why people give a shit now. But the fact that Call you, Duty, you're also committing war crimes. So. Well, I, I I know. But the fact that people people want to frame the experiences in this game like they've never fucking happened in the industry before. No, yeah, that's that's
0: a. That's very disingenuous. It and is. It's
2: so disingenuous. And I think that the people who are making those arguments are the same people who are cherry picking the thematic elements without playing the fucking game.
0: But I mean, I think thematically and like narratively, it's a little bit different when you kill a dog in The Last of Us Part 2 and its owner starts like freaking out and shouting its dog's name as opposed to basically just a, a little missile that's attacking you in like Call of Duty or something like that. They don't go for the same narrative resonance because Call of Duty doesn't have the the chops to do so or doesn't want to because it's a broad selling game.
2: That's just it. They don't want to. And so they don't bother to do it.
0: And like you said, too, the intent, like the intent of killing a dog in Call of Duty is like, look how edgy we are versus the intent. And Last of Us is like, don't you feel bad?
2: I don't know that it's that, though, although I didn't. I did note, like, obviously, I was going to note when I started Abby's section and they're like, hey, whatever the fuck the dog's name is, they're like, Erica, like Alice, what was the dog's name? I don't remember. Whatever. But they're like, "Hey, Alice," and like start scratching the dog's ears. I'm like, "Fuck!" I, good I was like, "I ju- no, I literally had just killed it at the end of day three in in Ellie's section," and I was like, "Ah, you sons of <laughs> bitches!" Like, but it was more like I don't know. I I don't get put off by recognizing the journey that the game is asking me to take. Like, I'm more interested in analyzing like, did they execute that journey well or not? Like, the fact that And EJ, I want to talk about this when we get the story. The fact that you didn't care about Abby and then you did care about Abby in the third act and the fact that you were bothered by them asking you to care about Abby in the first two parts of her story, I think that that speaks to the success of the game and not to its failure because you took the journey they wanted you to take You just didn't like that you were taking it. And I think that that's a different thing.
1: I do think that is a different thing. I agree with you. I think, yes, I knew exactly what they wanted me to experience going into it. Ten hours into the game, I knew where they wanted me to go, but I wasn't happy about it. I didn't agree with it. It didn't resonate with me for hours and made the best section of the game from a design standpoint Really hard to get through. Just not being a survival horror fan. And I said this to Brennan. I said, if you're a survival horror fan, I don't know how you play this section and not fucking love it. And that's the hotel and the hospital and stuff. But for me, again, it's... it's I don't care about this character. I don't want to care about the character because of what they set up in the first act. And that, I think, is also a failure. It's kind of like know your audience. Like, what what did this game do well in The Last of Us Part 1? The relationships... Primarily between Joel and Ellie, and 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 I, I'm gonna pull up my notes here because the first note I took was Joel's death felt cheap. Kidnapping would have been a better way to set up a revenge plot. Maybe I feel differently now. I don't know. I understand that the emotional connection between these two and our connection to Joel makes this like makes us care even more about this journey Ellie's about to take. But it also makes it really hard for me to give a shit about Abby. When I when I go into Abby and
0: I see all of her friends, Like all I can think of at first is, oh, you fucking killed Joel. I don't have the context of the whole lead up and set up to Joel's death. The things I know just from the leaks is just that there was video of uh, Joel and Tommy encountering these strangers who turned out to be Abby and her group that they like immediately gave their names and like invited them in. And then that's when shit turned around and that people were very upset that I didn't feel like this was in character for uh, these two hardened survivors who'd been dealing with this bullshit for 20 years, even though they both look like they're in their like late forties. <laughs>
1: Listen, I will argue this point because I think because that is something in, in one of my destiny servers. I had to, I had to not play with those guys for a little bit because they kept trying to spoil the game for me because they're assholes but that was one of their points, was the ruins Joel's character. It ruins Joel's character. And I'm like, so many counterpoints. Chris is jerking off right now. I, I'm with you. I think it's bullshit that people think that. I think, A, it's been several years since they had to like fucking fight on the front lines with people. They, they, they've been living in this little quarantine bubble. They go out every so often to take care of stragglers uh, zombie stragglers it's not really a big deal you know the guard being down not having dealt with that uh, in so long there's no militarized insurgent group there is no literally a military like it's it's a peaceful life whatever but b they come across these people they save abby who's on the run from a horde of zombies they save abby so it's sort of they already kind of have this connection of like Oh, we have some some hunters out here, people passing through. That fucking happens because, you know, America is desolate and full of zombies. Like, so they save Abby and they get through this traumatic experience together that they probably haven't even experienced, Tommy and Joel, in years. A horde Mm -hmm. chasing them through these buildings. And so they find this mutual reprieve. They save Abby, Abby brings her to the mansion, and now they're safe. And so I think it is completely reasonable for them after years of having no altercation with another fucking human other than some homophobic asshat bartender, right? Like, the only conflict they've had with people, you know, is so far in the rearview window. So I have no issue with them being like, hey, like, we're we're all surviving, man. We're all here for the same reason. We saved you. You helped us. Come on through. We'll give you some supplies. Like, that totally tracks to me. I never once questioned that until way after the fact when someone was trying to spoil the game for me and talking shit. And I'm like, you're a fucking idiot. That is a completely silly thing to be upset about. And if you want to be mad about that, that is your prerogative. Uh, And I use the royal you. Obviously, Nick, I'm not. Calling you out here, but
0: yeah, because I don't, I, have, I don't have the context. And I, I, I just wanted to get your opinion on that, whether it was a earned thing, if it felt like it was out of character to Joel, and if you think that he had enough of a progression through the first game to be like less on guard, because very early on in the game, from what I experienced, they're driving into that town, and there's that dude who's like, "Help me, help me!" And he's like, like pretty much, I don't know if he runs him over if he tries to, but like he just blazes past him. He's like, "No, I know that." I know that tactic. Like I know this person is just trying to lure us into a false sense of security right. because I've been on both sides of that encounter. He says. So it just when I heard that and I heard that like very you know narrow context and I thought that was a little bit out of character. Like maybe Game of Thrones season seven, not season eight, right. season seven where it starts kind of losing the sure. the, the trail a little bit. So that's just the the vibe I got. Not only
1: because they had just mutually saved each other's ass. Where it's different. You're on a freeway, you're driving down, you see a straggler serendipitously there looking for help. Coming from a war zone, it's a little different than coming from Jackson and things are relaxed and you guys just save each right. other. I didn't have
0: that context. I just thought I just heard, you know, you see the the thirty lines of text that someone wrote down Sure. breaking down each each thing. Just the idea that in this post apocalyptic world, giving two
1: common first names to a group of what uh, is essentially a group of campers
0: in the snowy hills of colorado like who fucking cares uh, so what it wasn't first and last name cuz that's what it, the the no. leak said no. i didn't even okay. know
1: i didn't even <laughs> know joe had a last name does he have a last name
0: Joel miller yeah, miller
1: i had no idea what? until i was on the wiki yeah, he just said, "I'm Joel." It's my brother Tommy, and everyone looks all funky.
2: No, there's no last name. I yeah, ditto what EJ said, and and two two specific things. One, in the lore of the game, we understand that Jackson is actively trying to recruit more people. That if they find stragglers, they are welcoming them into their community to grow their community. So that's the status quo that we enter into, and two joel's a dad again like that's part of the journey of the last of us one is that he becomes his father figure to ellie and that softens a person and we even see that through the course of flashbacks in the last of us 2 that bridge the gap between the end of the first game and the second game that he's relearning how to interact with a daughter figure and part of that involves softening his own opinions and being more receptive to other things And so I think both of those are in keeping with the story, the game. I mean, the escape sequence in which you get to that lodge in the first place, he is doming clickers and macheteing infected and just fucking shit up. Like he is still every bit as capable as he has been. He's just like, yeah, somebody who mutually like saved each other's asses and were united by circumstance in this moment. And he had no reason to suspect, to suspect ill intent. It, it it was earned. It was not a betrayal of his character.
0: Yeah, I wanted to get both of your feelings on that, just because. Yeah, obviously not me not having any context. Right,
2: and and listen, I
0: disagree. Uh, with, with the death, and
1: and again, I, I go back to a comment I made earlier. Know your audience, and and, and this, and we are going to disagree, Chris, because I think you, based on how the game ended, you've interpreted everything in the lead up in twenty five hours. Uh, of lead up differently. They set you up for a revenge plot. The first 12 hours of the game is about a journey for revenge. Abby's arc changes things a little bit, but but at the end of the day, she still wants her revenge. Right. And, and and so, so you're, and obviously being attached to Joel, the game is setting you up to be like, fuck this person. And so I understand these lofty ideas of, Not everyone's a bad guy and seeing it from both perspectives and do you forgive your enemies or what part of my humanity am I willing to lose versus what am I willing to sacrifice to like hold on to that? And like I I get that and I appreciate the idea, but good ideas do not make good media. And this is why we disagree on The Last Jedi, Chris which I think was a travesty of an experience. Are we doing this tonight? No, we don't need to deep dive into it. I I so appreciate the ideas in which those ideas were executed well within the context of the universe, the trilogy, and the film, and I don't think any of those were accomplished. I think in this game, I don't think it's as egregious as Last Jedi, but I think these ideas, the dots were not connected well enough along the way. And and earlier when I mentioned pacing, to, to set us up to hate this fucking character. Who killed the character I like? You know, above all in this game or in the last game, and and to put me in this journey, knowing it's going to culminate in in my revenge, and then to try and subvert those expectations. And this is something that you know someone had posted on Twitter saying, "This is one of the best revenge stories ever told." And I said, "Yeah, a revenge story where you don't get the revenge. Neither of the characters get their revenge. Well, I mean, I guess Abby gets the revenge on Joel, but." Then Ellie kills all of her friends. So so it's a revenge story where there is no revenge and the main character doesn't experience any of the development the player experiences to make you okay with that. That's where, that's where my beef is with the whole story, Chris. And I would love for you to kind of defend how you feel about it because I appreciate those ideas. But what they set up, the journey they took us through, you cannot change with a flip of a switch at the end of a game. Oh, it was all a dream, right? Like you can't, You can't fundamentally change the 25-hour experience I had with a cutscene at the end. What they set up, what they had us go through, I thought the pacing fell off when you switched to Abby because you don't care about her. I think there could have been a more interesting way to make us sympathetic with Abby. At the end of the day, her dad was killed by a guy who was protecting his daughter, and her dad was trying to kill a child. Like No matter how I look at this, I... (laughs) Well, I like Abby's character quite a lot. I loved her journey. There are parts about her character and about her friends and some of the flashback. Stuff I didn't like. But at the end of the day, her dad was gonna kill a child. I don't care for what lofty reasons. A vaccine? <laughs> you don't
2: you don't well, care about that? Well, if that. you want to get
0: into the science of it, you can't create a vaccine for, for a fungus and I thought it was implied in the first game that uh there was no guarantee that there was any like proof that just oh, because yeah. because there's one person who's uh, immune doesn't mean that they could extract that immunity. Right. Based, uh, it's, a, it's a scientific experiment, basically.
1: Exactly. And the fundamental issue that I have with it, and this is just, I think there has to be sort of a, a, a disconnect because it's a video game, but like you would like draw blood, right? You wouldn't cut her fucking brain in half. Like So that's my whole B with it. So at the end of the day, this guy was going to kill a child. Joel protected his child. And, and Abby came for revenge, and at the end of the day, they're still bad guys to me. And again, I like her character. I think she had a good redemption arc, and I really like the things she did. It still didn't make me okay with her as a person or as a character. It still didn't make me okay with the lack of revenge. Um, and again, if, they had, if Ellie had a reason to not get that revenge, that would have been great. But all the reasons she had, we experienced as a player, but she didn't. And that's where my issue is with the writing is that the character didn't have the motivation. And I'm sure you're going to poke some holes in that, Chris. But that's what the majority of people's beef is. And I would argue that if 1% of the people who play your game quote-unquote gets it, you fail as a storyteller, right? And you see a lot of like artsy, fartsy, like guys that are high on their own supply. Oh, you didn't get it. You didn't get it. You didn't get my story. Like creators, right? You didn't get what I was going for. Whose fault is that, <laughs> right? Is it... 100,000 reviewers who didn't get it? Or is it the 1% of people who got it? It's like, that's that's a failure as a, as a storyteller. And despite appreciating these ideas, even liking the character I didn't think I was going to like, I liked that redemption arc, but at the end of the day, I think there could have been a more interesting way to make us sympathetic and the game would have been so much better if the stuff that Abby did was just Ellie's, like if that was her journey and that you somehow... Mingle in again, uh, uh, Abby's sympathy card, however, you weave that in. Like, I think that would have been a way more interesting thing, uh, for the game to do. Instead, the pacing completely fell off for me because I didn't care about these characters. Um, and it didn't, it wasn't until nine or ten hours in that I was like, okay, I'm on board with this. Like, I like her and I see what they're going for. Obviously, I knew before playing as Abby what they were going for, but there were big ideas that fell flat for me at the end of the day. And the fact that Ellie had no moments to, to like reflect and it was just pure rage and anger and revenge. And then she doesn't, she just decides not to like, what that that, that's, that's, that's bad writing to me. You know, I understand the actions have consequences. Like, what are you willing to give up? And she lost Dina and she lost Joel and she lost Jesse. And like, that's all awesome. Like, that's great. And it, it, it makes us feel, and it makes these decisions tough, but to just have taken that at the very end with no compelling reason, I think was a failure, and why this game is being so panned um, by, I think, people at large. So that's obviously, that's a really broad sort of overview of, of how I feel about it. We can get into
2: the minutiae of it, but like, you know, how do you feel about it? All right, I'm going to do my best to stick to my notes. Um. I want to add at the beginning a couple things. I think that the Last Jedi comparison is apt because this is an introduction to... This game is introducing something into the industry at large that AAA games especially, but even a lot of indie games, have never asked gamers to consume before. And I don't mean the content... I mean the idea of consuming an entire game and then deciding what the game was about as opposed to getting caught up in the beat by beat moments which I think you're a victim of and I want to I want to talk about that at large.
1: I'm a victim of of how stories are told and how Media is consumed and how entertainment is supposed to be enjoyed. I'm a victim of that.
2: I, I don't
1: agree that video entertainment. Game.
2: I don't agree that entertainment is the some sum total of beat-by-beat beat experiences. I think you have to holistically consider the product that you just consumed and that this game is doing something that even a lot of like mainstream film isn't doing, and that it's saying you need to take in this entire experience and then you have to think about what it was trying to do. Because, and this is the the core of my entire thesis, this is not a revenge story. This is not a revenge story. This is a forgiveness story, 100%. And I think if you approach this game from that regard, you arrive at a different conclusion. So, here's my case. Here is my case. As soon as they started giving flashbacks, pretty early in Ellie's section... Uh, immediately, and the question hanging over this entire game to begin with that you've already acknowledged is, when is Ellie going to question what happened in the hospital? And we get that answer, that she questioned it pretty early on, and she went and sought answers for herself. And she tells Joel, if you tell me the truth, I'll go back to Jackson. If you lie to me, we're done. And Joel tells her the truth. And she says, I'm coming back to Jackson, but we're done. So, my question is, why does she give a shit what happens to him when he dies? Then there's more going on. Obviously, there's more going on, or there wouldn't be a reason for this story to be told. So, just like in the first game, when its final shot kind of frames the whole themes of the experience, where it's like, yes, you just did atrocious things, but if you did it in the name of people that mattered, you doesn't matter what you did to get there. That's the moral ambiguity the first game is grappling with. So I was waiting for that last shot of the game. And every time I thought the game was ending, I was like, is that it? And I started thinking about it and went, okay, no, that's not the last shot. I got to wait for the last shot. Ellie is obsessed with Joel's killer because she didn't. Abby robbed her of the chance to forgive Joel while he was still alive. Totally. Totally. So it's never been about the revenge. The revenge is a misplaced symptom of her pain that she didn't get a chance to actually forgive Joel. Like, there's a reason why the image of Joel we keep seeing is him before he dies. It's not him with his head smashed in. It's him lying on the ground with his head bloody, in the last moments that Ellie had with him while he was still alive, the moment, the last chance in which she would have had to forgive him while he would have been able to process and understand that forgiveness. And so framing the entire game as that puts everything in a really different context because the very last scene that we get in the game, and this is going to take a little bit of time to frame. I'm going to try and get through as quick as I can, but the very last scene that we get in the game before uh, the very last flashback is the night before the game begins when Ellie tells Joel, I don't know if I can forgive you, but I would like to try. And we see in the way that Joel responds to this with great emotion that that is all he wants. All he wants is for Ellie to forgive him for making a choice that he is unapologetic for and that he did for someone that he loved. So, why do we have to play as Abby? They're doing this really intentionally. And I think it's a misreading of this game and what Naughty Dog is the story they're trying to tell to say that it's just about humanizing the other side of things. I think it's about more than that. Abby teaches Ellie how to forgive people. Like, Abby literally holds Ellie's life in her hands and decides not to kill her. And yes, it has to do with her relationship with Lev and the empathy that she's developed through there, but Abby wants to kill Ellie for the same reason Ellie wants to kill Abby, and that's that they murdered loved ones. Their motivation is exactly the same, but it's Abby who could tell her, I'm going to let you live even though I don't have to, which is quite literally the greatest form of forgiveness that exists, to say, I could kill you, but I'm not going to. I think that your life matters more than that. I don't think that killing you is going to accomplish what I want to accomplish and if we were to see that scene play out from Ellie's point of view without ever having played as Abby and understood how she started to do what her own dead father had advocated for in his life to seek the good in other people and to seek the light in other people we wouldn't have give a shit given a shit that she didn't kill her we wouldn't have understood why she didn't kill her and we wouldn't have we wouldn't have been able to see the first example of forgiveness in action and i think it matters that when Ellie finally has an opportunity to kill her in that excruciating scene in the ocean. And as soon as I saw the boat flapping in the water and I recognized it from the title sequence, I was like, Oh fuck, this is going to suck. I know this is going to suck. And it was, it was absolutely one of the most awful things I've ever experienced in a game. Just excruciating the way that they make you go through with that fight and drive the switchblade into Abby's emaciated shoulders And when she starts to drown Ellie, the image that she sees is the first snatch of the scene we're going to see later in the farmhouse of Joel on the porch when he tells Ellie, when Ellie says that she's going to try to forgive him. And so what she's touching before she has time to really understand what it is, is this idea that to be forgiven is all that Joel ever wanted he wouldn't have given a shit if she tried to kill all of these people that came for his life if she had forgiven him while he was still living. And so when we get that as the final scene of the game, and when Ellie places the guitar and walks away from it, and we remember back to when, again, in flashbacks, when Ellie says, my life could have meant something she gets to decide what that is now for the first time. And it's only because she could forgive Joel and walk away from him, but she could not do that until she forgave him. And so for me, I was waiting for that last scene. And when that was the way they chose to frame the last scene and literally the last visual of the game is Ellie forging a new trail away from Joel's legacy. The visual representation of Joel's legacy by walking away from the guitar into the cornfield. And the question that hangs over the game is, is she, is she going to be able to get Dina's forgiveness? Like, is that something that she's willing to give? And throughout the rest of the game, we see forgiveness again and again and again and again, as a motif that's rejected or accepted and how that plays out. And the role of music, I said, I was going to come back to this reinforces this. We expect in a game that if there is music that's involved, the progression of the music is that it's going to become more complete as the story of the game becomes more complete. But they invert this expectation, and the song every successive time becomes more broken, less fleshed out, with less, less complex chord playing, I guess for lack of a better term, I'm not a guitarist, until literally at the end of the game... Ellie can't play the song. She is physically incapable of playing the song anymore because she has deviated so far from what Joel would have actually wanted her to do, which is just to forgive him. She would not. He would not have given a shit if he was revenged as long as he was forgiven, and the, the musical journey through the game reinforces that, that she gets further away from this musical legacy of Joel the more she tries to go down the road of revenge. So I don't, I I think that saying it's about revenge, I think that Naughty Dog knew that was the expectation. They marketed the game with that understanding. And just like in The Last Jedi, which is not a conversation we're going to have right now because we don't have time. (laughs) I think that they subvert it and I think they do so effectively. And I really genuinely don't understand how game reviewers and not like just pissy fucking whoever the cares whatever commenters on the internet but people who get paid to do this people who do this for a living who are supposed to be able to do a good job of analyzing what games are doing don't get why they ended the game with that shot why they why that was the last flashback why it had to be the last flashback I don't get why they don't recognize the significance of that. So that for me, as I'm sitting there watching the credits, crying, because obviously it's a lot at the end of that game, thinking about the game as a whole based on how they chose to end it, that contextualized everything for me in a way that I would not have been able to experience if I got bogged down with what I was doing from moment to moment. So that's my case. And I would love to hear your thoughts on it. Uh,
1: three, three things off the top of my head is, is, A, you say it's not a revenge story because she doesn't want revenge for k- them killing Joel. Well, she wants revenge for them robbing the opportunity to patch things up with Joel. So she still wants revenge just for maybe a different reason, or it's not as explicit or, or as basic as, oh, they killed Joel. But it, it, at the end of the day, that's her whole journey she sets out on. I totally agree with your entire assessment. And I think that's, it's a beautiful way to frame uh, the narrative of this game. But that didn't, that didn't feel so, you know, revelatory to me. I was like, like everything you just described I was like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's exactly it. Like, it's completely obvious. I agree with you. Some people missed it and they're fucking idiots. Well, sorry, I don't want to say they're fucking idiots. The people who get paid to do this missed it. They're fucking idiots.
0: Do you think any of that was hampered by the fact that uh, review embargoes forced people to only talk about like the first third of the game? Everybody got this game a month before the game came out because it was done for that long, and their embargo specifically stated that they can't talk about plot points past a certain uh, right. section of the game, and that makes it incredibly difficult to make a case for the like logic behind what Chris is talking about. Like Chris, I don't think you could have you couldn't have said about how this game is about forgiveness without talking about those flashbacks and talking about the sum of the parts and the whole experience. And that's a good point for someone to call
1: it a revenge story without breaking embargo. Like that's really the only way to frame it. And that's a fine assessment, but a lot of these people I'm talking spoiler casts. Like I just watched uh, 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 an IGN playthrough reaction to the ending, you know, listening to kind of funny spoiler casts and listening to their spoiler cast with Neil Druckmann and uh, the other two actors who played Joel and Ellie, I can't remember their names. Troy Baker and Ashley Johnson. Correct. These people who don't quite get it, or who who kind of get it, but it was funny. Greg Miller on the kind of funny podcast. He he almost kind of got it, and Neil Druckmann was like, "Well, that's not what we were thinking." But it's it's great how people extrapolate their own meaning, and that that is the beauty of storytelling. At the end of the day, is is some people pick up on different nuances than others, or or there is like implicit information here that you know people can interpret how they want ej it's about intent that's my point and this is why chris while i agree with everything you said and like i said that wasn't like some big reveal to me that was like exactly where i thought the game was going the whole time as soon as you switch to abby i'm like i know exactly where this is going and so that's part of my problem is i didn't feel surprised by it again my whole issue and this is where where I said ideas don't make good products. Like you have to execute on those ideas. So yes, I love the idea that you flash to that final scene that we're about to see, where she decides she chooses to forgive Joel, and and that being the catalyst for her to decide this revenge doesn't matter. Right. It's it's a beautiful idea, but there wasn't enough there. To, to, I guess, thread that needle uh, in a meaningful way. And so for those who see that and appreciate it as a concept, that's great, and I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, for me, it felt flat. It, it it didn't hit the way they wanted it to hit. I think there are things they could have done differently, like I already alluded to, that would have told the same story, the same concept, but done it in a way that was not only honoring you know, the characters that they had already... Established, but also like know your audience. You know what I mean. What do you know? What do you what do you mean by
0: that? By know your audience. I want. I want. I want to hear more about what you mean by that. If you're a Star Wars fan and they make a Star Wars movie, oh God.
2: And <laughs> don't I, do this to us. Like well, no, it's yes.
1: it's it, 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 listen. This is a necessary comparison to draw because Star Wars is universal. If
0: the comparison you're drawing is that the worst thing about Star Wars is Star Wars fans, then I'm willing to accept you that is analogy. that is
1: true. That is true. Like, if if you were to make a Star Wars sequel trilogy, and I don't mean a, a Rogue One, but if you were to make the next Star Wars trilogy a direct answer to Return of the Jedi, and, like, you didn't have spaceships and lightsabers, know your fucking audience, man. People want Star Wars. So for them to come in and say, oh, we're going to kill Joel, and then we're going to set up a revenge plot, and we're not going to execute, and we're not going to give the main character, the one person, the one person, and Chris, you're pulling your hair out right now, the one person that is left that we give a shit about you are not going to give her proper motivation or character development. Her journey the whole way, she has no development until a final cutscene that you're supposed to extrapolate all the way back 30 hours earlier in the game and like connect the dots. Like I disagree with that in execution. I don't care how good of an idea it is. In execution, it completely falls flat and it is not enough to justify the things that they decided to do with this game. And you can say, oh, storytellers, it's their prerogative and it's their story to tell. It's like... This is a video game. They want to sell 20 million copies to people who are invested in these stories. Know your audience. Killing the characters that we love for really, I don't think, is a significant reason at the end of the day. Like, I don't think that diminishes any of your point, Chris. You're freaking out right now. I don't think that
0: diminishes your point. Personally, from the outside looking in, Chris, I'll let you hop in after I say this, but I can't imagine a sequel to The Last of Us without Joel getting killed. And I can't imagine a better person to kill Joel than a way that would be symmetrical to how that would affect Ellie. I don't disagree with that.
1: and and, and I guess my my main thing, my, my initial thought when I said, oh, a kidnapping would have been a better way to set up a revenge plot. That's so soft. <laughs> that was my first take, but it later, that changed because we got more of their relationship through flashbacks. And so I started to appreciate what they were building. Like, again, exactly to Chris's point, that was obvious to me the whole time. I don't think, again, it wasn't this revelatory experience. Like, oh my God. It wasn't, you know, spoiler alert for Book of Eli. It wasn't getting to the end and finding out that he's fucking blind. You know what I mean? That changes the context of the whole game. It was obvious to me the whole time. And and I appreciated the idea. I just, by the end, I was like, this is why I said, when we get through Abby's second arc, or Abby's arc, the second act of the, the game, by the end of that you're like that was a great redemption arc and I care a lot about what she was doing at the end fighting the seraphites and and saving lev and you know I'm like damn and that's why I wish that third act would have been a deeper dive into Ellie coming to terms with the things the player just came to terms with and instead of in a in a a fucking last minute flashback in a moment of of suspense where we expect one thing um well I, I didn't expect her to kill Abby it, I knew, I said going into that, I remember telling Brennan, I was like, I know exactly where this is going. And, you know, so it wasn't like a shock to me. I just wanted it to matter more to the character. And and again, I, I see exactly the point you're making and, and that's, yeah, that was there the whole time for me. But I just can't help but think like they, they just, they were just left a bullseye, you know?
0: Can you explain this last section where you're playing as Ellie to me an outsider? Like, did it, did it feel like a... uh a video game thing where it's like oh we're in the last chapter we have to do this one final mission and then do a boss fight and it's like a quick time event switching perspectives and getting a, a cutscene. was it kind of like cheapened in that way that's the vibe i'm getting just like just hearing you talk about it the third act to me was a, a major failure outside of of
1: world design which we talked about major failure <laughs> <laughs> like they, they they set you up thinking you're going into a proper third act you have, you have days one through three from both sides of the story. You've set up all this beautiful stuff between two characters, and you're ready to see it all come to a head. Ellie leaves the farm, because you kind of get the happy ending, right? Abby reluctantly lets them live, because Lev, who is a, you know, a, a pure of heart character, right? That's, that's, that's Lev's whole point. Like he's a, he's a reluctant character. And so Abby reluctantly spares Dina and Ellie because of Lev. Not because of some grand forgiveness, like she had this revelation herself. She didn't want to be a monster in front of this character that she grew to love. And that is f- totally fine. That is great. That makes a lot of sense, especially for Lev's character, who who was sort of this like paragon, in a way, for Abby this whole time she was following... You know, she was she was helping Lev, but at the end of the day, she was kind of following Lev out of this being this murderer and being this person. She decides I don't want to be this person anymore, and realizing that the Seraphites maybe you know there's more to that story and and she she makes that choice and that's great. But then she dives right back into it with Ellie and is like, I'm gonna fucking kill your pregnant girlfriend. So it's like, oh, so you didn't change, and it was Lev who was like, Hey, chill the fuck out. If Lev wasn't there, she would have killed them both. So I don't want to confuse. That aspect of her arc. like She didn't have this grand change. She didn't come out of this fucking cocoon, a beautiful butterfly. She's still a fucking murderer who would have murdered those people if that person wasn't looking her in the eyes when she did it. If Lev was in the next room, she would have done it. So, so that, <laughs> that is not as big of a development, I think, as we're making it out to be.
2: Chris, tell me about the last act. Ellie gets information from Tommy, who is now walking with a limp and had, like, the side of his face shot off, basically, uh, during the last competition with Abby. Is like, hey, I got a tip from somebody. This girl built like an ox with a small, shaved-headed person is trading off a boat in Santa Barbara. And now we can go get her. You know, you, you said I'm going to make her pay. And... Ellie's like, yeah, I'm not really about that. And Dina kind of chases Tommy off of their farm. And it's like, look, you know, get out. This isn't, we're not doing this. Uh, Ellie decides she is doing this and she hasn't been sleeping. She looks, she looks noticeably like thinner. She looks not super healthy um, at that point in time. And Abby, you play a very brief section as Abby in Santa Barbara where she discovers the location of a firefly base and she's contacted them via radio and she's going to go try and meet up with them with Lev and she gets captured
1: by a new faction that they threw in. And let's talk about the factions in a, in a minute here, but they just pigeonhole a new faction in. And at first I thought, oh, cool. New faction. Third act. Let's fucking do this. Nope. It was an hour. It was an hour. They pigeonhole this new faction in. They throw us back into Abby's shoes. And then go away at a critical time where you're trying to hammer home that we should feel some sort of sympathy or or empathy with this character. And you go as things like heat up, you just leave us. Right. And obviously, a lot happened to Abby in this time, but we don't know. We don't see it.
2: There was so much more to this
1: game that they just decided at the last minute, yeah,
2: we don't need to tell this. I don't think that that part of Abby's story would have been necessary whatsoever to the plot they were telling. Like, Abby's role as the protagonist and she is one of the protagonists, is to show, like, there there are more moments in Abby's story that show the cost of failing to forgive than there are incidental incidents in Ellie's arc. And I think they're meant to highlight that. And that's why, again, and I want to throw this all the way back to, like, you saying know your audience, EJ, is that, like, I don't think Naughty Dog really gives a shit what fans of this game wanted to see from a sequel. And I don't fucking think they should give a shit. And it's not because of like, oh, artist intent. It's not because of that. It's because I think that this industry deserves to be challenged. I think that they deserve to have games that don't serve up like easily digestible concepts to them. And ask them to unpack it in a way that's different because even 10 years from now, I think that narratives and games are not gonna look like they look today. Just like narratives and games a decade ago don't look anything like narratives and games look like right now. And I I I think that that matters. I totally agree with you, dude. Like 100%. I don't,
1: I said it earlier, I don't think these games or these stories should be told by committee. And, and Nick said, oh, well, they, they already are. You've got producers and stockholders and all these people you have to make happy by making a, an appealing product. But I want Neil Druckmann to go in with his team and tell an honest story that they want to tell. Like, I do want that. B- but but I go back to my other comparison where it's like, y- you're making a certain type of game. You're telling a certain type of story. At the end of the day, if you don't want to adhere to the rules that you built or the characters that you created um, or you want to go so far off the reservation that you're going to like alienate half your fan base, that's your choice. And that's totally fine. And listen, I'm not the person they alienated. There are hundreds of thousands of people who are mad about this game, who who some who played it and some who didn't. <laughs> but I'm not that person. I'm a person who thinks that this was a bold take on uh, and an interesting set of answers to a question that the last game set up, like I said. And I just think that recognizing that it's either interesting or different or challenging or compelling for some big lofty reason is not enough to make this a 10 out of 10. My thing is that I really appreciate that they tried to do that, but that they got so wrapped up in thinking that this is like, they're smarter than they are. And that these big ideas were enough to sell the experience that they dropped the ball in execution. And I think that, you know, that, that's, that's my issue. Not that they went the direction they did, but that, whether this is true or not, that at some point they just, again, they got high on their own supply. You know, they thought this is, we're so smart that they, that they failed at certain aspects. This is a seven and a half that could have been a fucking 10. And I wish it was because I did enjoy this so much more than the first game moment to moment.
2: Yeah. I, I, I just, I, I, I feel like you, you want it to be something that it isn't and i think that this is a problem with the entire the entire community of gamers but pop culture like collectively has this just awful culture fucking awful culture of expectation and i don't think that you are you're not like a prime example of that by any stretch of the imagination but i do think you are a victim of expectation in that you wanted the story to play out And you've expressed as much like you wanted the story to play out in different ways that you felt would have more effectively told the story instead of just taking the story exactly as it is and evaluating it on its own merits. Because as soon as you get into the, oh, well, if they have done this, then this would have landed, you're already way off where you should be in analyzing this game. And I do think that if you're connecting the dots that I'm saying right now, like I don't see how you don't get what the game was doing. And again, I I don't think I don't think I should be in the minority on this because the first game literally did the same goddamn thing where they they gave you the question that hangs over the entire game and the thematic element that hangs over the entire game in the very last cutscene in big bold black and white letters. And so I, knowing that I was waiting for that moment in this game. I, I just, I don't like, am I, am I nuts? Like, am is it because I'm coming at this from, from a different standpoint than maybe a lot of people do as someone who like works on crafting stories for a living as a director? Like, is that, is, is that, am I way off base here? Cause I just literally, I, I have a hard time understanding how, people who played the first game didn't get that and didn't expect that that's what they were going to do with this one. I think it's funny
1: uh, you keep bringing up your theater background and it's funny because I'm on the opposite side of a very similar industry working in, in filmmaking being very similar but being very different ends of the same spectrum, right? And not that there aren't similarities there but like where I'm, I'm hung up so much on the execution, you know, being a video editor and like seeing how the sausage is made. I'm so caught up in the minutia of the execution, and and you're looking at it very broadly, at, you know, in th- you know, the th- thematically, and and I think that's cool though. But but at the end of the day, Chris, you are in the minority,
0: and I don't think you're crazy by any means. Trying to say I don't know if there's uh, there is there's been enough time for there to be a general consensus. I don't think like a have you been a, on the a internet bomb on Metacritic is what, 20,000 people on Metacritic got mad and gave it a zero?
2: Yeah, it's that I Look, I uh, this is where we disagree, and I haven't said this explicitly, so I need to say it. I do think they executed it well. And I think that part of what, part of what pisses me off is that maybe it's the fact that maybe we'll look back on this game and analyze it differently in like 15 years as a potentially a turning point in the kinds of media that the game industry asks gamers to consume. But this almost felt... This felt like it's so interesting you started with like a Breaking Bad El Camino reference because this almost felt like Breaking Bad where you're like these people suck but they have developed and sometimes it takes until the last moment which it kind of did in Breaking Bad take until the final episode for Walter to just acknowledge what has been true for five seasons which is that he loved what he was doing and that he needs to be okay with that. But the execution of this game specifically, the, the the themes of this, and again, this literally only in the time it took for the credits to roll, which is maybe like five minutes, for me to come up with all of these pieces of evidence in which they were almost aggressively beating us over the head with this idea of both honoring what the dead would have wanted, not what you want for the dead, and of forgiveness. And I have a list Literally, we joke about the like homophobic bartender, but the very first scene is Maria trying to get Ellie to forgive him and Ellie saying, nah, I'm good. And that's her starting point for the whole game. And I think the fact that it took her an entire game to have one incredibly important moment of development does not diminish the development that happened. It's just not what you want it to be. And it's not what we're used to consuming in media. Furthermore lev's whole plot in the game ultimately that is a plot of wanting the forgiveness of his parents and he goes back to the village which drives one of again one of the most interesting sections of the game to try to get the forgiveness of his parent and doesn't get it and the person who is incapable of forgiving literally dies by their own hand of like falling and hitting their head on the stove or whatever in the struggle with their their son that they can't accept. And at the end of that entire section, two uncompromising factions that are going to war over a petty violation of a truce that no one's even sure who caused in the first place. They literally burn themselves to the ground while Ellie and Lev boat off into this unknown future of an ocean. Like, it's a giant visual metaphor for the entire game of the cost of failing to forgive each other. And even, like, Isaac won't forgive Abby in the moment. Literally, someone who's described as his number one scar killer, he won't forgive Him, uh, uh, he will not forgive Abby in the moment and gets killed in his moment of hesitating. Mel will not forgive Abby for brutally killing Joel and she dies without forgiveness. Tommy won't forgive Abby and he is literally broken at the end of the game. Like, time and time and time again, it comes up. And all that these people who have passed want, like Yara wants Lev to live his truth free from the persecution of his parents. And so in honoring that, that tells us something, right? All Joel wants is to be forgiven and, ha- and for Ellie to have an opportunity to live her life on her own terms. And once we know that and we see that she's finally doing that and leaving Joel's legacy behind, like she, revenge is a part of the story, but it's not what the story's about. So I hesitate to say it's a revenge story. Because I just I just feel that's inaccurate. So I think I do think they executed it well. I really truly do. And I think it's all I think it's all there. I think I, I think it's just asking them to not think about, oh, this section in the hotel was awesome, because we gain absolutely no character development in the hotel, right? It's asking you to listen to the cutscenes, listen to the interactions with the people, and pay attention to what's happening to them and not just go, oh, Lev's mom died, but to go, Lev's mom could not forgive him. And she literally died in the struggle.
1: You got an experience that you wanted to get out of it and it resonated with you. And that's really important. That's the, that's why we, you know, indulge ourselves in anything, right? That's why we consume media. Um, so I think that's important. But I would argue that if you did a three-hour podcast to make your case about why they did it right, they probably didn't do it right. I could do this in
2: a 15-minute YouTube video, Tops.
1: I do. I, I honestly, you should do that because I think there are people out there who would benefit from this perspective. So you should absolutely you should do that because I'm not trying to diminish like I feel like we we took the same journey and came to the same conclusion um, about the interpretation of the story for the most part we just feel differently about
2: if they pulled it off or not
1: because I appreciate those same things that you're saying and that's with any any sort of media you know you should hear Nick and I fucking argue about Marvel movies you want to get me triggered get Nick started on almost anything I like
0: really. Really anything that I enjoy. <laughs> let's just get Nick's opinion on it. And Well, it's it's a well-regarded fact that you just have bad taste, DJ. This I'm is sorry. true. This is true. Um, I just take it. I just take it like a yeah. champ.
2: He lost his taste way before coronavirus made it trendy. Oh, oh God. Oh! <laughs> That's well, a cold I, open. Wanna,
1: <laughs> I think we both kind of made our cases there. I wish I was as eloquent as you and my vocabulary was as broad as yours. But before we wrap this up, I do want to talk about all the controversy surrounding a few aspects of this game um, and some of these characters, and you were talking about Lev and and his subplot, which I think is very compelling, and that is the subplot that made me come around to like appreciating Abby as a character, empathizing with her as a character, and and being okay with the concept of not getting my revenge. Right? It was the Lev subplot, and this ties into the controversy that we briefly touched on earlier and we'll try to keep this brief because we're two and a half hours in, but I agree that there are people like who went into this experience, like in bad faith, right? People who wanted to hate this game. And this is why I'm so glad that I didn't get any spoilers. I didn't even look at what the controversy was about. I only broadly knew that like it had something to do with trans people or, or queer people in general. And I just assumed that that was like, Oh, they're mad that like, Ellie is the star of the show, and she's a gay woman. And like, you're a fucking idiot if that's your problem. You know, people who are mad that Ray was a Jedi, right? Like a woman. Oh, you pushing your SJW agenda by having a woman as the main character, like that? Fuck off! I don't even want to like have a conversation <laughs> with those people. It's not worth having with those kinds of people. But as I come to find out, after having beaten the game and diving deeper into the quote unquote controversy, um, that it's more than that. It, it is. It is in part, Ellie being a woman, being the main character, and they're just people who hate that. Them, quote-unquote, forcing the lesbian relationship between Dina and Ellie, which was so well done in this fucking game, was so beautifully portrayed. Their moments were so impactful. And and here's the thing, and educate me if I sound ignorant here, but I watch a show like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and they've handled a lot of "Quote unquote," touchy subjects really well over the years, but the last season, and I think Nick and I we we talked about this. The last season, they went so overboard, in-your-face, like it was basically a PSA with a character looking at the camera, being like, "And hey kids, that's why homophobia is bad." Like it's, just, like it was almost a PSA to the camera, so ham-fisted. Where these characters were going, these monologues. That's not the that that's the pandering that like the people on the other side of the fence claim. Right? That is, like, infecting our fucking SJW media. That's the shit really is kind of like, hey, guys, that's not how you do it. There is zero of that here. They don't shy away from anything in this game. It is right in front of your face, but never once feels like they're going out of their way to to hammer you with, like, hey, being a turf is bad. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's so... That's like so important to this subplot of this character that we'll dive into here, but like it never feels like a fucking PSA. And so people who want to complain about whether that's uh, Ellie and Dina or whether that's Lev, who is a trans boy, or or even like people were mad because they assumed Abby was a transsexual because she has muscles, right? Like there was this whole thing that people still, Chris, even you texted me, you were still like, wondering like well is she like well no people just that was just a rumor because she had she was fucking yoked right that people were like oh she's fucking trans and this is neil cuckman fucking putting his sjw agenda in our fucking video games
0: and also is it relevant no it's (laughs) not the other thing
2: it's really not it's really 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 not and i that was one of the only pieces of anything that i got because my Fucking brother Joey does not know where the line is when it comes to things that will spoil content of games for me. And I hope you're listening to this, you son of a bitch, because you did spoil a couple (laughs) things for me in this game. You just call your mom a bitch. I know what I did. I know what I did. (laughs) I'm sorry, mom. (laughs) You're not listening to this. It's fine. Is that he sent me this thing, and I think this was part of the leak that, you know, Naughty Dog made female characters more muscular to appeal to trans people. And that colored part of my and and that was apparently part of the leaks that had come out maybe I'm well, wrong I'm not Nick. sure i
0: think yeah a little bit of the, that was like some conjecture was that abby was trans but also there was a a lot of like gifs going around of the comparison between the trailer of um the scene where she's being strung up that was the first look at uh, last of Us part two where she's being hanged and mm-hmm. then like a hammer's taken to someone's arm and there's a screwdriver stabbing but they take like a still shot of the final game and that version of it and like she's got more muscles in the final version they're like trying to make a point about that like that was trying to say something but which they, i don't understand they carried it in the <laughs> story the
2: they really carried it in the story that her entire purpose of existence in joining up with the wlf was to get as capable as possible to go fucking kill Joel. And so for her, that meant being physically capable as well as being like trained in how to use weapons and munitions and, and survival and things like that, which is reflected in her skill tree. Interestingly,
1: this just goes to show I, if you want to talk about beauty standards or expectations of men versus women, but like she wasn't fucking macho man, Randy Savage, right? Like she wasn't, fucking Gold's Gym walking around like a fucking, like she was about to explode she was toned mm-hmm. right, like it like it wasn't even this egregious thing, like it, maybe it's off-putting when you're not used to women looking like that, but there are so many people who do look like that in the real world it's just maybe not conveyed in like popular media and like it just seemed like a silly thing for, you know, even Brennan not to call you out, but like at least three times playing the game with him, I would just hear from the other end, she's so fucking buff, dude, what the fuck? <laughs> like,
0: like, it just people aren't used to that idea. And to be fair, you don't see that sort of, like, representation of, like, a, not the quote-unquote strong female character, right. but, you know, like, literally a physically imposing woman, and I don't know, I think that's interesting to actually, you know, finally broach that, like, I'm not going to say Naughty Dog's brave for doing it, but, like, someone had to do it eventually. Jeez. Right. Like, people are just so used to their female characters just being, like, a tits with a face above them. Right. And that's, like, the point of
2: the character is right. just to be the the male gaze. <laughs> Sp- speaking of breasts, and I do think that this is, as we're in the controversy section of the podcast... Uh, I, I did think it was interesting and, and EJ framed, <laughs> I was bouncing ideas off of, uh, him about this. And he kind of framed, framed my wondering about this in bad faith when he said, uh, You're very fixated on like seven seconds of buff titties. (laughs) That was like, I know, I was fucking with you. There is a sex scene between Abby and one of her exes who is at the time involved with someone else that happens during the second day, the end of the first day in the Seattle section. That is like, seen that screenshot? It's been memed.
1: There's so many aspects of the story that we have glossed over, but that's okay.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's it's been it's been memed to oblivion and I'm now painfully aware of that because of Joey. Thanks Joey. There's your second shout out. Um and I was really like taken aback that I shouldn't say taken aback. It took me out for a second to go they went like way out of their way through the entire game of never like sexualizing Ellie and then to And then to like really at the end of the literally like the first section of Abby's gameplay to be like, she's going to be fucking someone and her shirt's going to be off. We're going to see her breasts. Like it was a really like jarring moment for me in terms of the vocabulary they'd already established for like nudity and intimacy. And I think EJ made, made the case successfully to me that Ellie's instances were more about like the trauma she'd endured when she's getting her wounds treated or the end of a sexual encounter with Dina that's ultimately more about intimacy and love as opposed to Abby and Owen's sex scene, which is about immediate sexual need and how the vocabulary would necessarily be different for those two things. But I recognize that that's something that might off-put people in terms of like, well, what are you saying about like some women's bodies as opposed to others? Like, Are some to be held more sacred? Do we not care about her? dress because she's more masculine and we assume it's xyz
0: that's just a, a side effect of just women's bodies in general being portrayed as a thing to look at and there has to be like a reason behind it like if you see a naked dude in a video game or a movie or a tv show it's not usually to show like a sexiness to it it's like either vulnerability or power and like that's the the spectrum that you're looking at it on whereas it's just per- pertain to like the male gaze and that's like obviously like a super Liberal kind of perspective, but like I totally understand it because it's so true. And I was gonna ask like how they broach because I'd seen like uh, screenshots and stuff of uh, Ellie and Dina being intimate and that being like a a a point of this game. Like Ellie is of age, and clearly in the first game she was not, so there was nothing sexual in the first game at all. Literally, it was a father daughter story. So I was gonna ask like how. Was that weird to see this character go from being a child for 30 hours into being like this adult woman that is sexual and it has like these intimate, like loving relationships that you have to sort of contend with? Not for me. Yeah. I don't
1: think it was strange. I do think that influenced the decisions they made about what nudity they did and didn't show. I think the way I framed it in our text conversation the other day, Chris, is one way to interpret it. But at the end of the day, I think it was just the Arya Stark thing where it was like, we spent five seasons with this minor. Like we don't. Like and I know they did have the sex oh, yeah. scene later on. <laughs> that was bad. <laughs> but like it was, yeah, it, but it really wasn't, you know nearly as gratuitous as anything we had seen throughout that whole series. So I think it really just came down to that. I don't think it was weird, a, because they do a good job of selling it. This is
0: a grown woman now. I was just thinking more from the the standpoint where the first game, Joel is your surrogate. you are playing as Joel, therefore, your relationship to Ellie is that of a father to a daughter. And how weird is it to be now playing, not just playing Ellie, but also viewing Ellie as a adult and having those things like I'm not going to go down to the tropes of like the the man holding a shotgun being like trying to intimidate to bring my daughter home by 10 or else, you know, yeah. or like a frickin uh, what's his butt like that weird guy who's trying to who kept taking his daughter to the doctor to test her virginity and stuff like that's weird. That's that's bad. Yeah. But I didn't want to like go down
2: that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely 7 years is a long time i mean i thought it was 5 no i mean like we've aged from the games. we've yeah. aged 7 years between these games right. and so i think having that amount of distance it's it's crazy to me actually to say that out loud because it doesn't feel like that game came out that long ago because it had such a big impact on me in terms of the narrative and the way they told it but 7 years is a long time and i think it's easy for us to be accepting that she's older now because we are so much older now that if this game had come out in 2015, I might maybe I would have felt a little differently of going like, whoa, hang on. Like you were very much a minor and very much did not want to. I I just, it, yeah, it, it might, it might've been different.
0: Oh, that was just something, that was just something that I was like wondering about if they would have stuck that landing just because I know, especially for like long running TV shows, it's hard to, have a character grow up because you're so used to them being a static character and like even cartoons, like cartoons have been doing that forever. Like Bart Simpson is an eight year old boy for 30 years, you know?
2: Yeah. I think EJ to your point, a 19 year old in a post apocalypse in which they've been forced to grow up in a hurry. Like there is something to that
1: other than putting on some weight and getting a job. Like I was virtually the same person from 15 to 19.
0: Yeah, I think that's more. That's more of a condemnation of your uh, maybe your trajectory. maybe this is rapidly maybe. going
2: in direction I don't want to know any more about. Um, I,
0: <laughs> I think the first game even had a trouble with this portraying age in the first place. Like, how old is Joel supposed to be? That dude is thirty, and there's a twenty year gap between the 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 uh, prologue and him actually like meeting Ellie and like going on that journey. The buffest fifty year old man ever. Like, what the? <laughs> oh, bro. You don't. uh, Yeah, I was gonna say.
1: I feel like I know plenty of fifty-year-old, fifty-five-year-old dudes who are in as good a shape and look like Joel. Like, it's not me. It won't be me at (laughs) fifty. It's not my old man at fifty. But I don't. uh, People who are complaining about that, I'm like, dude, you look like a fifty-five-year-old man.
2: Yeah, I one one piece of the other sort of cultural controversy touch points that I think we, we will be remiss in not talking about. And I think this can be a brief conversation is Lev's arc, um, which some, some context. So Abby in her first day is saved from the scene, which we have seen before that she's going to get like hung and disemboweled by the Seraphites and is saved by these two young Seraphites who are apparently not part of the group anymore. We should note we
1: haven't talked about these factions at all. WLF is like another militarized, like insurgent group who fought the government basically, just like the Fireflies and broke off and created their own sort of world. And the Seraphites are like a religious cult who follows some nut
2: job who wanted to create her own reality and was killed by the leader of the wolves and then became a martyr, which threw gasoline on the whole situation. Um, which you get in lore. You don't really explicitly get that in dialogue, but you get into lore. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, they they save Abby, and she in turn comes back the next day to save them because one of them is the girl whose arm is smashed to pieces in that cutscene with a hammer and is obviously going to be in bad shape without medical attention, and that sort of... Inf- that launches the rest of Abby's arc. But Lev um, has a shaved head and initially only says that they were excommunicated more or less because they shaved their head and later there is a scene in which uh other seraphites see you traveling with lev for the first time and they refer to lev as as lily and then we later have it like trickled out through lev's sister uh and from lev later that they were born biologically female, realized that they were were male and wanted to transition and were going to be forced to be a wife to one of the elders of the Seraphites as their role in the village and shave their head as an act of rebellion and to affirm that they identified as the male gender. Um, this obviously prompted a lot of pushback from people who thought that Naughty Dog was just like force feeding them like a pro- Trans agenda which feels weird to say because that's just a human agenda but that pissed a small subset of people off that they were being forced to like fight for a trans boy basically which I think is I think it's great that they were forcing some of those people to play through a narrative in which they had to understand the like in very brief the psychology of a young person discovering that they're transgender What I did not expect is that there is a lot of pushback from people in the transgender community about using a dead name at all in the course of the game. And that even though they use, even though the people who were using Lev's dead name were villains, they felt like that was inherently more, uh, exploitive of the trans community that it was beneficial and again this is like a small subset they're saying like we get okay so only the bad guys used it but you're still taking advantage of like that trauma to tell the story and i did not think about that when i was playing through it and i think it's an interesting point that's worth discussing um because i'm trying to take my cues from these communities right i'm trying not to like put my own opinion on it um, cause I want to, instinctively I wanted to be like, well, they're the bad guys. Of course they're doing the bad thing, but somebody still made the choice that that's what the bad guy is going to say. And it's still, it's still a thing that happens. Right. So I don't know. What, what, what do you guys think? That is so inherent
1: to this character's story. It wasn't exploited. It, it, it's, it's a fundamental aspect of who this boy is and us understanding where they came from without, you opening up a fucking book and reading their life story. Like it, it seems like in quote unquote, exploiting their trauma. Li- listen, I don't want to be an insensitive asshole about it, but that seems like much to do about nothing and something that overwhelming bulk of that community based on my own anecdotal experience has been, you know, a positive reception. So I don't know. I I I feel like you're never going to make everybody happy. And at the end of the day, like someone's going to be pissed. Like, no, I I think it's
0: criticism worth, um, taking in and understanding where it's coming from. I agree. Like obviously coming from a bunch of cis dudes, like it, it, it's hard for us to sort of know what it's like to have that story told because, uh, I'm sure that story has been told a lot. Like, I feel like the, the comparison would be like, I'm trying to think, like, it's tr- if it's tropey, then I would see why they would be like, why do you have to, why does the trans character always have to be someone who's dealing with this trauma? Like, why is that the only way we can get a trans character in this game? And that's, like, the reason for them existing in this role is to make the bad guy seem more bad, you know? It's like having a token woman in a cast of men, but their only reason for existing is that they're raped by the bad guy, like, They shouldn't exist to be a justification for the bad guys being bad. So I understand it from that perspective, but also you are right that it is good to have just a character that you can empathize with who has a very real thing that happens to them. Like you talking, Chris talking about uh, him trying to come to terms with uh, their parent and that being like a relatable thing in the trans community, I would imagine. Like, I feel like that's a, that's a story you hear a lot. But maybe it is a story that's told too much and maybe uh, they could have done more with the character and it could have been a more impactful story. But I don't think that, um, obviously I haven't played the game but like you guys have and if you think that's like okay then that's the only thing you can do is take the criticism. That's not even directed at you, it's directed at the people who made the game so like they need to take the criticism and and ask themselves is this something that we're okay with? Uh, Obviously I I don't see anybody calling for like a change to it so like yeah, you can feel bad about a thing and be like, I didn't like this, and that's like, okay, because that's just your opinion. I think the way you framed it was
1: was really good because you're right. If there's beef there, that's where it would come from, is why why do we have to be framed like this? Like, why can't we just exist within this world? That's an argument I could totally see as being, like, valid. But to, like like, to be okay with this... Trans character existing and their role in the story being their journey as a trans person, right? If that's okay, being upset over yeah, like you said, the bad guy doing the bad thing, that's completely silly
2: to me.
0: I think it's criticism worth having, but I think it's also uh, a good step in just sort of like
2: normalizing characters even just existing. Yeah, I was yeah, hundred percent. I was just gonna say there's also like, for, and I should have said this at top, but there is. Also a, a large group of people in the trans community that are ecstatic that this story is being told in a game like this, period, because this for a AAA game is fucking unheard of. Like this yeah, the needs a, the, it's, a,
0: it's good exposure.
2: Yeah. The <laughs> indie pure. scene has been plumbing this depth for a long time in terms of like better representation. And that's something that Joey, who gets his third shout-out, which is completely inexplicable to me, has been really <laughs> pointing out to me is that the games industry collectively is not as far behind as I thought it was like three years ago. I just was looking in the wrong places. And I think that for big ticket games, it matters to see more stuff like this. And I think that this will be another flashpoint to look back on in terms of representation in games that on the one hand, you had a lead character who is a lesbian whose story in the game was not defined by and encompassed entirely by the fact that she's queer. It's just a thing that is true about her and the story is something else entirely. And the trans character in the play, their journey is literally defined by their being trans. And so...
0: And to teach the uh, protagonist about forgiveness, I think is, it's a huge, that's really cool. Yeah. It's also like extremely relevant
1: to what's happening in the real world today. Mm-hmm. To portray something like that, you know again I don't I don't want to outright like dismiss a community's issue with something. like if there's something to be educated on, that's again it's worth listening. Um, there are also people in the LGBTQ community that like don't think bisexuals should be a part of it. like they're wrong. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I don't want to draw that exact comparison between the people who are upset about this. I'm just saying that like different people have different opinions, (laughs) right? It's, it's worth having the
0: conversation, but at the end of the day, like, sorry, not sorry. I do. I do want to say that it's really funny because I was occasionally, very occasionally, there's a, a subreddit popped up that was dedicated to just like memeing and talking shit about the game before it came out because of leaks and then that got shut down for hate speech. Surprise, surprise. So they made another one. They made another one. And the, it was just, it's really interesting to me because me being totally separate from this, I don't have any, you know, any horses in the race. I wasn't like a, I wasn't rooting for it to fail. I wasn't, you know, like totally blinded by the 10, 10 out of 10 scores and everything. I'm just like, just a observer. I just wanted to look what they were saying Look at the other subreddit that was just totally just sucking Naughty Dog's dick so hard. they were just so ready for this game. They wanted it to succeed. They hung their... They wanted it to succeed because that would make them succeed. You know, like it, it was very sad and very funny looking at both of these groups that were either crazy hateful or crazy. Just like they're ready for they're ready for it to win because that would make them winners too. But something that I saw in the, the other subreddit, the more angry one that was generally funnier because they're like making better memes and the other one was just like, man, really, really excited for the story. But something I saw frequently was people being sort of upset that there was a faction in the Seraphites that were, you know, pretty obviously a, a Christian sort of uh, fill in that their their main story point, their main plot point was being transphobic. And, like, I get that to an extent, but, like, how many Christians do you know that aren't trans? Like, have you read a
1: fucking Bible?
0: But I just wanted to, I wanted to say that because I wanted to relate <laughs> it to, like, people like to project out and look at others as having, like, a victim complex. Sure. In a way to, like, belittle others. And I think in some cases it's valid. And I think that's, like, a valid case. I don't want to, like, make a straw man because, like, obviously you can you can say anyone's a bad guy and there's a bad guy, but
1: a religious faction being portrayed as inherently bigoted is the same thing as like portraying the Nazis as big. You can't have religion without some level of bigotry. It's just the way it is. It is the way it's built period in this country, especially being religious is a choice. And so I guess that you, you want to complain that, Oh, these Christians were portrayed a certain way. Poor me. Like, well, That's a choice. Being a gay person isn't. Yeah. Or being a 12-year-old trans person, you know, not a lot of people wake up wishing they could be some fucking marginalized individual. It's it's a totally silly thing to me. Like, yeah, your religious group was portrayed as a bunch of bigot assholes. Like, sorry. That's That's kind of the way it is. You may not agree with that assessment as a religious person. This is a conversation I have with my own mom all the time. You might not actively hate anybody but the things you do and the things you say the people you vote for and and the bible you believe in say otherwise
2: yeah
0: and honestly like i'm not gonna empathize with that group but i do kind of get it like i don't i feel like that's a very tired story
2: also yeah like oh religion's actually the bad guy like yeah we get we know (laughs) tell a different story I don't think they were any worse than the WLF though. And I think that was the the point yeah. is that you had this yeah. militaristic semi-fascist organization and then you had uh, this religious cult that really wasn't very rooted in any like Judeo-Christian traditions. Like they were pretty much their own thing. Um, well, I'm just thinking of like the, the,
0: the reaction and the blowback and like the weird, like I'm just thinking of like Far Cry 5 and how, I don't know. I'm getting a lot of things conflated because, you know, obviously people want to be like, this is actually harassing me. Yeah, <laughs> well, it like, really, no, no, any Christian fake.
2: that thought it was lumping them all in with that is probably just dealing with the guilt of knowing that that's the way they feel, to be totally honest. And that's why like yeah, prob- trig- probably. triggering Christians with content that points out their hypocrisy is a fucking treasured pastime for me. So like, <laughs> I, yeah. I don't have empathy for that. I don't have empathy for that, unfortunately.
1: I also would like to say that while yes, the game depicts the religious group as being bigoted against trans people, the WLF literally murder children.
2: They do. They kill Yara. They execute That's, her. They fucked her up, bro. Yeah. It was, that was this. That was hard. That was like, cause it came as such a surprise, right? Like she pops Isaac and then they literally, this is Lev's sister. And we, th- we think that she's dead already, And this is the moment I was talking about where Isaac, who's the leader of the WLF, is facing down Abby and will not listen to her. He will not listen to her reasons. He will not forgive her actions. And in his moment, he's like, I'm going to shoot you in three seconds if you don't move away from the scar, the Seraphite, Lev. And Abby's trying to talk him down. And as Isaac's not moving, so Yara, who is on the ground, having already been shot once, shoots Isaac in the side of the head and kills him and the WLF that are with with Isaac fill her full of lead I mean like probably 8 to 10 gunshots like at point blank range it's very and fucking the camera ugly. is just right there it's it was ugly
1: it was gross it was gnarly man but yeah both factions are painted pretty poorly because they're both pieces of shit you know what I mean like right. they're both
0: not great if factions. you're part of a group that is regarded as a faction <laughs> 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 yeah. if you call yourself a front you might be a bad guy <laughs>
1: Dude, you know what I found interesting? Like when they set up the Rattlers, that third faction, and I was really hoping for like a proper third act of this game. And at the end of the day, Chris, to your whole argument, like even if I if I could just be like, yeah, I'm with you 100%. The fact that you spend more time as Abby and not Ellie in this game really sucks. And the fact that you you come back to play as Ellie for an hour after spending the majority of the game as somebody else like that really just, you know, when I say know your audience, it was like, that was really hard to stomach. And that's why I thought we were going to get this big third act. because like, well,
2: we spent more time as Abby than Ellie. They're not going to just do that, but they just did that. I did not spend more time as Abby. And I said this to you in chat too, that the fact that they were flinging so many upgrades at me so quickly told me right off the bat, I'm not spending as much time with this character. And I really didn't like her days were shorter. I thought that her sections were more, not like specifically isolated, but had like one set piece in a way that Ellie's did not. Like a number of encounters flow into each other in Ellie's sections and Abby's are kind of more standalone. And also, I just want to throw this out, sorry, like... The end game only takes an hour if you're playing on baby mode with a bunch of like slider settings down, (laughs) because if you if you actually play that section, it takes like two (laughs) and a half hours and it's a lot more satisfying. No, let's
0: not be gatekeepers here. All right. (laughs) Thank you. I don't even know what that means. (laughs) Gates
2: open. Come on in. Well, apparently not, Chris. Apparently not. Well, if you're going to sit here, if you're going to say that it's a shortcoming, then I'm going to tell you it's only a shortcoming if you slide the difficulty all the way down and you can breeze through it. And I think that's less of like me, like kicking you in the nuts as it is me pointing out validly that the game goes faster if you turn the difficulty off. Like, I think that's fair.
1: I also like to point out that my slider changes happened much, much earlier than that final hour of the game for me.
0: Fair. Fair. Naughty Dog built that slider, all right. They didn't build it to not be used, Chris. Hell yeah,
2: brother. You're right. It's I'm a piece of shit.
0: Yeah, you should fucking you should fucking think
1: about your life, all right. <laughs> Listen, I do agree <laughs> that like the way I play the game probably influenced the fact that I spent more time, you know, doing certain things. And, and you not said it yourself others.
0: that you were, you were less uh, compelled to do your your hunter gatherer wall-humping, trying to search for all the lore tidbits bits that you were doing earlier in the game. <laughs> right, but somehow I still feel
1: like I spent more time, even though I was conscientiously, you know, I wasn't as meticulous,
0: right? You probably literally spent less time, but you it felt like more time. Exactly. Because you weren't invested in that character yet. Yeah.
1: Well, I'd be curious to go back and see, because I feel like, so I beat the game in 25 hours, or 24 and some change. And I feel like I switched to Abby at like 12 hours in, which would put us... Probably 50-50
2: between Ellie and Abby. I will say I finished in about 30 and I didn't switch till Abby until close to 20. Okay. And I know that I took at least an hour and a half in the last section, if not two full hours.
1: Yeah. So, you know, uh, uh, your mileage may vary. Overall, I just couldn't help but think. And and again, I wish I came out of this experience. This is something I always had to defend myself. Because I'm often a pessimist. I don't enjoy a lot of things. I don't go into, like I don't want to not enjoy the thing I spent 25 hours doing. You know what I mean? Like I wish I came out of it with as profound an experience as you did. But I didn't. And I just couldn't help but think at the end of it that like if everything that Abby did, Ellie had done, how much more I would have enjoyed this experience. But we got what we got and we feel about it how we feel about it. I think it is a worthy sequel. I think it is something a lot of people will not like. No matter how open-minded they are about it, they will not like it. And that is okay. Because not everything is for everybody. I feel that they could have done more. We got what we got. What I hope they don't do is do some hackneyed fucking DLC where they listen to the community and try to like, you know, try maybe retcon something. And I don't think that's something Naughty Dog would do. No. But if like you know, we talk about this being the fastest selling game, 4 million copies and whatever. What if they never sell another copy? What if this game just tops out at four, four and a half million copies? It won't, but say it does. What does Sony try to do? Do They try to do some sort of damage control and force them to, to make a DLC that tries to bring in another faction of players who were unhappy with it. Maybe not, but like that possibility exists.
2: I hope they don't. Does Kathleen Kennedy run Sony now? Because, uh oh, Unless, oh. unless that happens, the answer is no. I brought it back round. Yes, I Thank did. You. I appreciate so, you. Yeah, two two parting shots on that. And Nick, you you uttered those cursed words. Last of Us Three. I I don't <laughs> I don't like how much more open the end of this game is for an additional installment with either of the protagonists or with Lev. Um, I don't like that. I liked that the first game was like, "This is it. It's done." And so, my question for the whole of this game is: Was this necessary to finish the story that you started in the Last of Us One? And did you pull it off in the way that you intended? And and so, for me, the answer is yes. It was necessary. And yes, they did conclude the story in a way that felt true to what both parts were saying together. Um, but I just I would be very disappointed to see further content. I just I I don't I don't think they can take this any anymore. I mean, if you want to tell a story with Lev, like, okay, fine, like do something in the universe, but get away from Joel. And Ellie, let them be done.
1: I would actually be interested in a Lev and Abby game. Oh, that yeah. would interest me.
2: Ellie, I don't know
1: where you go with Ellie. And I do want to touch on one last thing that I forgot to, to bring up earlier. The way I interpreted, like the most immediate interpretation, I guess, of the final flashback. Oh, yes. You know, so she she finishes her journey. She ends up at home and she thinks she's she's home. She finds out that Dina has left. And not just left, but like left all of Ellie's belongings. Like it wasn't even a, Hey, we're in Jackson. Come see us. Like Dina left. And I think conceptually the idea that like, not only do actions have consequences, but also like this idea that this revenge is poison is like killing Ellie. And you're seeing this happen in everything. Like she gets Jesse killed. She, Tommy gets fucked up. You know, she almost loses Dina to Abby. What are you willing to give up to get that revenge? Right? which I think is a very important motif. But it was very hand-in-hand with the idea of forgiveness. And I mean, they're, they're the two sides of the same token. And so when we get to the end and she chooses not to kill Abby and she gets home and she realizes that it didn't matter, she still lost Dina. And she goes upstairs and sees that her stuff is still there. And she realizes, oh God, what have I done? And she has that flashback to choosing to forgive Joel even though she knew it would be hard and she hated how things had ended up. And that she had that choice taken from her the way that Dina had that choice taken from her. When Ellie left she was pleading, don't go, don't go stay with us. And I I interpret it. The more immediate interpretation being her realizing that, Hey, if I was, if I was able to like decide to forgive Joel, I hope that Dina will make the same choice for me and her leaving the guitar and all of the things that tied her to Joel was her decision to leave everything that led her to losing everything. Like she's leaving all that behind Joel and whatever that journey had been. She chose to leave all of that in the past because it had cost her everything. So I interpret the ending as her, she's going back to Jackson. I think I said Colorado earlier. She there in Wyoming, right? Wyoming. That was my interpretation that she, that's where she's going at the end of the game. And she's hoping that, that she'll get the same grace that she was able to muster for someone she cared about. Hopefully, not too late. <laughs> right. Because it's interesting drawing those parallels between Ellie and Dina as being people who had a really awful decision made for them. Be- obviously, the most surface level, like immediate thing that I assume they wanted us to pay attention to. Right. And obviously, you start threading that needle backwards and, you know, it reveals a lot more about the game. But is there more of a story? Yeah. She's probably going to go to Jackson. And if there were Last of Us Three, it'd be Ellie going to Jackson and Dina's got another person. And, like, it would it would start on some fucking heartbreak and end on more and heartbreak. Ellie's
2: going to murder them. Yeah,
0: right. No. <laughs> no. Joel um, comes back as a clicker, and you play yeah, right. as Joel the clicker. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I'd play that. I'd drop 60 bucks on that. No, um, I, I think that that is the question over the end of the game, EJ. And I almost don't. I, I, I care, but I think it's more important to me that Ellie just gets to choose something for herself now. And so sure. whether or not she's going back to Jackson to me was almost less relevant. I would want her to, because I think they had a, they had a, they had a great relationship and I want to see that relationship revisited. But I mean, Dina makes it pretty clear, like, this is not a forgivable action if you choose to leave. And Ellie's like, literally is like, well, that's your choice to make and leaves anyway. <laughs> so yeah.
1: Well, you know, the original um, ending, according to Neil Cuckman, was <laughs> she took one of Jesse's toys and left everything but one of the baby toys. And so it's very on the nose implied that uh, Jesse, is that the baby's name? What's the baby's name?
2: JJ, Jesse Jr.
1: JJ. Yeah. Okay. It is Jesse. Yeah. So um, it, it is obviously very on the nose that oh, she's going back to Jackson. And it, that was her choice was to leave, leave this torrid past behind and and move and focus on the future the way she wish she now now wish she would have when she was initially presented that option by Tommy months earlier so anyway obviously that is not canon because they did it you know did the ending more ambiguously but it does bolster my assurance that my interpretation was correct she's going back to Jackson and i hope she finds happiness there god damn it because let me tell you this was some real
0: masochistic shit. Is the important question at the end of the game, where is Ellie going? Or is the important question, why is she leaving?
1: Is the important question, where is she going or where has she come from?
2: You know? <laughs> no, it, is, it is the latter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even the end credits, and again, the role of music, the The very last song in the credits is, is going to Jordan and talking about seeing the mother and seeing the father and seeing the savior and about... Like what are the lessons we learned from those people? Just that's where it where it took me. So I don't yeah. know. I don't. I'm not interested in where Ellie is going. Only that she gets to go finally. Sure.
1: And that being said, yeah, I hope there isn't a Last of Us three. Naughty Dog has given us, you know, has given the industry a lot of great content, and I think it's time for them to move on and and hopefully do something as great as the Last of Us in a, a wholly new direction. So. And I, I make fun of, I said Neil Cuckman because that's, you know, all the fucking douchebags who are mad about lesbians and trans people, you know, think Neil Druckmann's a fucking,
2: I don't even know. Well, It's, he is it's an, ridiculous. He is an abusive asshole, but I think that that's a separate conversation and one that's worth having as it pertains to Naughty Dog's industry practices and the way they treat their employees. Uh, but. I wonder how much a creative director has over who stays late on a video game. Well, he did force them all to watch like really graphic snuff film videos as research for the game, which traumatized a lot of the staff. But again, this is, I think, a much longer conversation than this pod can support. Sure.
1: I also think the the biggest allegations against him were just debunked by several people in the industry. I don't know if you saw any of that. Um, about like hostile takeover
0: and forcing people out and all this stuff specifically in relation to amy hennig and yeah. uh uncharted 4 yeah is that just being a fabrication made by some assholes at ign who later got outed as being assholes
1: yeah and like all the journalists like it was this whole this whole thing the last week oh man yeah th- don't have the time to t- go talk about yeah. all that stuff <laughs> yeah i don't know neil Druckmann from from dick so i don't you know I don't have an opinion there, but I appreciate you taking the three and a half hours to talk about this, Chris. Um, I can't wait to edit this. Cause that means I get to listen to it and you know, you're, you're easy to listen to. And that is, that is good. Nick, thank you for like bearing with us and hanging for
0: this very long talk of a game. You did not play or care about at all. Yeah, um, I try to keep my uh, drop-ins a little bit less dynamite and uh, let you guys talk it out more.
1: Yeah. Um, our buddy Andrew Chavez wants to come on and talk about it. he just beat the game and he feels very differently from the two of us, Chris. If if you're if you're here and I'm kind of to the left of you, he is in the fucking deep end. And so I'll be very interested to get his perspective. That'd be funny.
2: <laughs> Chris. Where can people find you? Do you want people to find you? I mean, there's, <laughs> that's a load of questions. I'm, I'm not much on uh, the social medias, but they can find me on Facebook if they want to come yell at me. Do you
1: want to plug anything as far as, you know,
2: um, that, what are you working on? I, yeah. Oh, wow. I get like a little mini platform. I didn't even think about that. Um, I would say teeny tiny. I I would say that I am doing uh, a radio play at the end of July. Um, with my wife's MFA acting class, uh, which is going to be broadcast online on LSU Student Radio KLSU, uh, that's going to be on. Oh, what if the last Sunday in July is? As I quickly access my calendar, uh, the 26th. That's going to broadcast. Uh, I think at, I think at noon Pacific Standard Time, two o'clock Central. It's going to broadcast. Um, I'd also add that. My, uh, Tiffany has launched a a reading group for people interested in the arts for reading plays by, uh, black playwrights and talking about them on Monday nights on zoom chats. Um, just read a play a week and then have a conversation Broaden your library. Uh, that's a worthwhile thing. I think, uh, it's been great for us so far. Um, other than that, no, keep listening to these guys. They've got good, they've got good things to say.
0: Thanks for plugging us on our own show.
2: Yeah, right. If you're interested
1: in uh, any of those things, you know you can find us on Twitter. Uh, Nick is at Press Till Death. I'm at Jiggle. We are Console Underscore Crusade. If you're interested, um, we don't post on our social media, but I monitor it. So if anyone has anything to say, I will see it promptly. Yeah. With that being said, thanks again, guys. Console Crusade.